Hey everyone, welcome. Good to be with you all tonight. I'm sure a lot of you have seen our story that just came out about an hour and a half ago. My name is Mario Balaban. I'm a media relations manager with Project Veritas. Just giving here a, a minute or two to get a few of our speakers uh, joining. We'll obviously have James O'Keefe here in a few minutes. We have uh, esteemed Robert, Dr. Robert Malone with us. My colleague com and communications director, uh, Eric Spracklin, here, is here as well. So just a few minutes here, guys, and we'll get this conversation started. All right, cool. Um, we're still waiting on James and a few others to join. We have a lot of listeners, so thank you all for joining. Um, you know, before we get James and, and Dr. Malone speaking tonight, uh, just a quick, uh, you know, recap of what the story is so people understand. I'm sure a lot of you have seen it already, but Project Veritas exposed a Pfizer executive. His name is uh, Jordan Tristan Walker. He's a Pfizer Director of Research and Development and Strategic Operations and mRNA Scientific Planner. And he, you know, to you know, summarize what he told us, uh, he basically told us that Pfizer is looking to mutate COVID via what he calls a, dire quote, directed evolution, unquote, for the company to continue profiting off of vaccines. And he explains exactly how that works. So, you know, we'll get a, a couple of speakers here to discuss this story, what this means, how important this is, and what this actually, you know, there's a lot of scientific terms um, that, you know, Dr. Malone can sp speak to here, uh, but it's, you know, very important to the public can get a real understanding of exactly uh, what this story means and, and why it's important um, to report on this. We just got another, we got two more people so far in the speaker roster. Uh, while we wait for James, we have Matthew Tiermond, who's on the board of directors of Project Veritas. We have Melissa, who is a Pfizer whistleblower who came to Project Veritas in 2021. She can speak to, uh, you know, the inner workings of Pfizer tonight with us. So a lot of great speakers, a lot of um, interesting topics to discuss here regarding big pharma, uh, how it works with, um, you know, the FDA, the government agencies that are supposed to be regulating pharma. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll give it a couple minutes here and uh, we'll get this whole conversation kickstarted. Uh, Mike, check. This is Robert Malone. Can you hear me okay? Yes, doctor. We can hear you. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. My pleasure. Dr. Malone, uh, if you if you want to just go ahead and, uh, and and tell everybody, I guess your initial thoughts while we're getting James in here, um, we'll, we'll we'll kind of start it there. Um, so just to set the stage, I was not involved uh, in collecting this information or initially processing or editing it. It came to me this afternoon. Veritas kindly called me for an opinion and gave me an opportunity to preview 
the material, uh, I was shocked. These are things that many of us have suspected were going on, this type of behavior, this type of attitude, this type of relationship and capture with the FDA and the entire United States regulatory affairs infrastructure. But to have it confirmed um, in in such a, uh, a blunt way, uh, in what struck me was the kind of uh, giggling um, joy in in disclosing what was being shared in the face of this enormous global tragedy that we've experienced is uh, discordant in a in a way that I am I still have problems processing. Uh, this this uh, shows a, a lack of empathy. I think is the kindest way to put it, uh, and uh, I, I'm I'm just overwhelmed by the callous uh, disregard. And please keep in mind that what is being discussed here is essentially what gave rise to this virus. It is exactly the same type of scientific experimentation, and what you've been given is a window into the attitude of the people that are responsible for this type of work. I think that, uh, I hope that that those that are in the persuadable middle can can hear these words, can, can observe the behavior, the tone of voice, the casual disregard for human life, um, the uh, crass uh, financial considerations that are being discussed, um, the complete disregard for any guardrails in terms of uh, scientific um, uh, uh, integrity. Uh, I, I, I just, I'm still overwhelmed when I view, watch this video. Um, the distinction that is being attempted to be made is a, apparently exactly the same one that Tony Fauci attempted to make when he asserted that uh, what happened at the Wuhan lab and what was funded by the NIH and the NIAID was not gain-of-function research, I guess he, he must be attempting to make the same argument that it was directed evolution. But this is wordsmithing. This is, this, has, this is just redefining the same thing using different words and language, but there's no substantial difference in terms of the practical consequences to all of us. We've been given a window with this gift from Project Veritas into the mind, behavior, and culture that has uh, given rise to this three years of global tragedy. Over. Thanks, thanks, uh, Dr. Malone. This is James O'Keefe here, and um, still trying to figure out how to use the Twitter spaces, but I'm on. So the story is blowing up the internet here. And I'll just give everyone a broad overview. This was a this was a meeting that we our undercover journalist had, a couple meetings with uh, this man who works for Pfizer. He's a Pfizer executive. His name is Jordan Tristan Walker. He's Pfizer's director of research and development, strategic operations, mRNA scientific planner. Um, one of the common, I mean, just just to address a few things, he he does indeed work for Pfizer. Um, we. Actually, um, I'm looking at some background on him. I just want to give you guys some background because it's an extraordinary thing that someone like this even exists. Um, he went to Yale. 
2013 Bachelor of Science in Biology at Yale. He's got his Doctor of Medicine at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical School. That's a 2018 doctor, so it should give you an idea of how old he is. Uh, he's based in New York, and uh, we ha- we've sp- spoken to his supervisor, spoken to some of his colleagues. So we're, we have not yet to receive a, a response from um, from Pfizer. We, we've, we've gotten them on the phone. They've hung up the phone on us. And um, just so that you're all aware, and this is new information, we, I, I personally did speak with him last night. I, I interacted with him in New York City at a restaurant, which is an extraordinary thing um, that we did. And in a sense, he, he reacted. He got very aggressive. And uh, that's the story for tomorrow. But, but um, I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it's one of the most amazing things we've ever seen. Um, and as always, this stuff speaks for itself. Some quotes here I think are most shocking. Uh, quote, this is not as what, not what we say to the public. People won't like that. Don't tell. He begs our journalists not to tell anybody. Um, and uh, now it's a matter of, uh, of seeing what Pfizer's response is going to be. What is the employment status of this official who has said all of these things? And there's some comments. Is he, is he telling the truth? We believe he is. Um, but of course you can see his lips moving as he makes these claims. So it's about the accountability. I think Dr. Malone is dead on. This is about the culture of the organization, the attitude of this individual who's a doctor who went to Yale and has been working for Pfizer for some time. Um, so with that, I mean, I'll probably answer some questions later, but let's see who we have on here. We have, um, we have uh, Matt, Matt Tiramon who, who wants to say a few words about, about um, the science. Matt, are you there? Matt's on, but I don't know. Yep, 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 I am. Uh, well, what I want to hear from is the doctors who are on. We've assembled some doctors and to break down, you know, the medical ethics of this, because I think this expose really exposes the lack of medical ethics at the absolute highest level. And certainly, you know, what they're doing flies in the face of previous practices when it comes to drug testing and, you know, sourcing viable drug candidates to uh, to mutate viruses in what they claim is a controlled environment. I'd love to hear the doctors to weigh in and talk about that for a few minutes and just really, you know, you guys take a lot of courses on medical ethics, and especially when you go into, you know, discussion in the uh, public public domain about medicine. So, And, and I'm not a doctor. Yeah. This is James O'Keefe again. But I will say that just as a journalist here, I was wondering if PETA has any comment. Uh, the, the animal uh, welfare organization, quote, don't tell anyone. This is I'm, I'm quoting the Pfizer executive, quote, don't tell anyone the way the experiment would work is that we put the virus in monkeys. We successfully caused them to keep infecting each other, says Jordan Tristan Walker, when he's talking about what he calls directed evolution. So with that, yes, Matt, let's go to some medical professionals on the phone. So this is uh, Dr. Kat Lindley. I'm a family physician in Texas and uh, good friends with Dr. Malone. But uh, he, he said it all, you know, just the laughter and saying, um, you know, we're just trying to figure out what's going to happen next. But if people knew what's happening, you know, we don't want them to know. And then when he started talking how the different uh, people from the government get the jobs in Pfizer and different organizations and they kind of look the other way, it just shows that there's no ethics left. And it doesn't matter how many people suffer. It doesn't matter. Human cost is not important when it comes to making money. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways I, I had from this. Hey, James, uh, this is Kim.com. Just a quick question. 
Very interesting topic. Again, you know, excellent work. I get a lot of DMs from people asking who this guy is. They can't find him on Google. There's no information uh, immediately visible on the Pfizer website. Can you tell us how you verified this guy? Like, how do you know that this guy is real? Actually, Kim, you're wrong. Um, his bio is readily available on LinkedIn. Uh, he's listed as Director Worldwide R&D Strategic Operations for Pfizer. And there are a number of other websites. I'm surprised that you haven't been able to find them, well, given your Fantastic. No, absolutely fantastic. I'm just uh, talking about DMs that I'm getting here, but thank you for verifying that. That's we, have a, we have a confirmed Pfizer email address which I don't know if it's right for me to say on, on the air here, what is email address, corporate email. It probably wants to say it, but I, I, you know, I, I guess that's not right for me to give out, but it's, it's jordan.something at pfizer.com. And uh, we also have a, a, a supervisor whose name. Shuang uh, Wu is the name of his supervisor at Pfizer. Um, and, uh, we also have listed. I'm, you know, I'm going to go ahead and redact some of these screenshots from LinkedIn. I'm going to go ahead and tweet them out so you guys can see them. Fantastic. And, that's, um, that's very helpful. And thanks for yeah. verifying that uh, just to make sure that people understand that this is, yeah. this guy is at Pfizer. Yeah, I mean, if at, at first glance, it might seem like this man is some type of serial imposter and has concocted fake medical degrees because it's, it's almost impossible to believe that this is what you're looking at is real. But we also have me speaking. I, James O'Keefe spoke with him last night. There's video of that. He confirmed some of the things here, uh, uh, in, including saying that he was trying, he's trying to help people at his company, um, confirm that he works with Pfizer in the flesh, no hidden camera. You'll see that tomorrow. Um, but it seems like what we have here is a case of a man who's just simply gotten caught and, um, and, uh, is, is, having the reaction of someone who has said some things that are incredibly newsworthy that he wish he did not say. And this really speaks to the mission of Veritas. You know, you know, this is why, why we do what we do to, to, to get, to get people to be honest, to get people to be forward. And like Dr. Malone, I, I think you hit it right on the, the nail on the head when you said this really speaks to the culture of these sorts of people, that they would behave like this and say these things in this twisted, conceited, narcissistic way this guy's a doctor who went to yale works for pfizer as a director i mean what's what is their explanation i want to know what pfizer has to say for themselves is this man going to keep his job is he i mean well, you know so we again we spoke to a supervisor um chuang wang Wu, I'm sorry, W-O-O is the name of his supervisor. And she hung up the phone on us today. That should tell you something. So let's let's try to go to some more people here on the on the air. Who else do we have on the Twitter space? Um, let's see. Eric, I was Mario, say, I, what do you think? I see Dr. Andrew uh, Huff uh, had requested to speak a little bit ago. Um, the floor is yours. Thank you. So I would say after watching the video, I was not shocked at all. <clears throat> I found his behavior and the way that he spoke – to be completely emblematic of many researchers and scientists and doctors in higher ed or academia and in corporate America and with the virologists that I used to work with at Equal Alliance in the U.S. government. And people do not take this seriously. They don't understand the risk. It's all about the money. It's all about the payday. 
and it's all one big joke to everybody. And I'm going to go ahead and tweet this screenshot out momentarily. Um, thank you for those comments. There, Eric and Mario, who else do we have on that we want to call on? Let's say, Steve, uh, I saw you come in earlier. Uh, if you want to go ahead now, the floor is yours. And, and I recommend, I recommend for Steve, before you jump on, that Lynn Finn, um, whose moniker there is Finderella, uh, also uh, be activated as a speaker when you get a chance, sir. Bye. Yeah, I had a chance to uh, to talk to Robert um, about a half hour ago about um, some questions I had and how they would spin this. Because, you know, I'm always thinking about how Pfizer is going to spin this to make this thing look like a positive. And I think it's pretty much impossible. But the only thing that they could possibly spin is that, hey, this is a good thing, what they're doing, because they're going to figure out which variant is next by by doing this experiment uh, inside their labs in a controlled situation. And, and therefore, the whole result will be a benefit for America. But I think the, the killer statement in this video is that Pfizer wins and, and Americans lose. And so to have an explicit admission from a Pfizer executive who's, you know, for the first time being honest, is it's really hard for them. It'll be very hard for them to spin this impossible. In fact, I think the more they try to spin this and the more the mainstream community, mainstream medical community tries to come to their defense, it's going to look very bad for them. Um, I'm really curious as to how the mainstream uh, media and, and also how the mainstream uh, medical community is going to react to this. This is going to be really interesting for them because now they're going to have to choose a side. And history is not going to look kindly if they choose wrong. So I think that this is absolutely, uh, James, fantastic Absolutely fantastic work. This is the best I've seen from Project Veritas. This is what it's all about. You hit the ball out of the park on this. Congratulations. And the last thing I, I want to say is that, you know, it's stunning to me. And I was talking to Robert about this um, uh, earlier. It's stunning to me that there has not been a single Pfizer whistleblower that has brought this information out before now. Lots of people are in on this. Nobody has said a word. This is a cesspool. This is not one guy who is corrupt. There is a cesspool of corruption at the top ranks of Pfizer. And, and thank you uh, for exposing it. And it, it's like a cockroach. You find, if you, if you see one cockroach, <laughs> you can bet that there are a lot more cockroaches here. And, and I asked, I asked Robert, how, how can it, how can this be that there is no, that there wasn't a whistleblower, that this had to come out in your video? How come there, it wasn't a whistleblower? And it's all about selection. They select people to work at Pfizer who have no ethics whatsoever. And that's how they can maintain this. And this is why there hasn't been a whistleblower. And I'm done. Thank you. Well, this is James. Thanks. Thanks. And I think you're you're dead on point is that you know, the, the dam, the dam breaks eventually in media and the information dam has to break. And ju this is also some information. The person that recorded this worked for Pfizer. The, 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 the man, our, wow. our person who recorded this 
came from Pfizer. So in some regards that there, there have been whistleblowers, just ones you don't know about that have been um, steadily investigating and reporting on this for, for well over a year. Um, so again, I'm, I'm tweeting this information out right now. Uh, and uh, let's see who else, Eric, we can go call on to give their remarks and reactions. Absolutely. I saw um, we have a NASA, a former NASA director of research and development. Um, is it Creon Livet, uh, I believe? Uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, that's me. That's close enough. Um, it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to speak on the same stage as uh, Dr. Malone, who, of course, I will go down in history as one of the great heroes for what, as his friend and mine, Brett Weinstein, has called the greatest blunder in the history of human civilization, which is the entire process of engineering and then responding to COVID. Anyway, um, I don't really have anything specifically to add. This I just watched the video. It's amazing. Um, kudos to Project Veritas and their bravery and their uh, accomplishments. And um, I'll just hang back. And if anyone has a specific question for me, I'm happy to get back. Uh, one thing I will say is that I have a fair degree of knowledge about immunology, not as much as uh, Dr. Malone, of course, but um, the whole thing never made any, the whole response never made immunological sense from the beginning. I mean, the idea that you would uh, make a vaccine that targets one region of one protein that is the most rapidly mutating region of any protein on the virus as a response, and then try and claim that it was more effective than natural uh, immunity from infection and recovery. It was just so absurd. The whole thing was absurd from the beginning. I'll say one more thing about it, too, which is not often said, but um, needs to be said and repeated, which is I suspected from the very start that the whole response of the medical establishment and the government regulatory establishment uh, for all things COVID was extremely suspect because I'd watched them lie for 50 years about fat and saturated fat and carbohydrates and dietary recommendations and statins and a whole list of other things. And so when they started, you know, making claims and trying to be heavy handed about um, forcing a consensus, I was like, come on, guys, you, you blew your credibility many years ago with me. Anyway, that's all for now. On that vein, can we talk a little bit about, you know, Pfizer's history of enforcement actions against it? It's not, this is this would not be a, a totally uh, foreign situation if there were hearings on it. I mean, Pfizer's been sanctioned many times in the past, as has all of Big Pharma. And we all have to you know, do journalism to expose things like this to get that kind of, you know, every generational uh, examination of the regulatory capture in the most existentially important sector of our economy, our collective health care. And that has been totally, the guardrails have been totally taken off that, especially with COVID. Uh, and I'm curious to see how it will play out. I mean, I, I got to think there will be some sort of hearings, especially given where we are politically and coming out of COVID. If anyone has any thoughts on that. I can, I can comment briefly on that if you wish. Uh, Ron Johnson himself is not very sanguine about uh, the ability of anyone in the Senate to hold 
any of these uh, administrative state workers accountable. Um, we had a, a Twitter Spaces with him uh, soon after Twitter Spaces launched, and uh, it, it was not it was not optimistic. Somebody's running water. Um, uh, the, in my opinion, our, our best opportunity now for any kind of objective uh, third party assessment is the action going on in the state of Florida. Um, that is being managed carefully by the Attorney General's office and the Governor's office. Who, whoever's hey, going to the bathroom uh, probably <laughs> wants to put their phone yeah, on. Yeah, I'll put that on mute, please. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I'm in touch with many in the House and the Senate that are just, you know, talking the talk about hearings, but uh, I don't personally see um, uh, open, objective, uh, honest um, inquiry taking place in our current environment within the federal government. I believe it's going to have to be an outside uh, entity that has subpoena power. And the only one that I'm aware of that meets those criteria are state governments. And the only one that I think is really qualified at this point is Florida State. Over. All right. And just, just to some breaking news, this is James O'Keefe. This is some breaking news. We have more documents that were given to us inside Pfizer, including an employee flowchart. These are new new whistleblowers now reaching out to Project Veritas at Veritas Tips at ProtonMail.com. I'm going to repeat that again. V-E-R-I-T-A-S-T-I-P-S. Veritas Tips at ProtonMail.com. And we have an employee flowchart showing, and I'm tweeting this out right now. Um, he reports to uh, Sarah Wu Shuang, senior director, reports to Mikhail Dolston, reports to Albert Burla, CEO. This is not a low-level person here. Um, this is not a low-level person here. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and tweet these. I'm redacting some of this. As I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing that right now. We're redacting. My colleague is asking me to redact. It's already been redacted. And uh, make sure there's no identifying information on here. Um, yeah, James, James, yeah. Um, one of the, the word that you didn't mention so far in his title is that he is director of worldwide R&D strategic operations and mRNA scientific planning. Yep. As you say, this is a very high level position. Um, it's it's uh, this this is someone who is very well compensated. Uh I, I'm just I'm gobsmacked by the level of immaturity uh, and um, complete lack of empathy that is displayed in your video. Or perhaps that's also known as just the truth. I mean, we know a lot of our political officials, leaders, politicians and corporate executives uh, demonstrate this sort of lack of empathy and lack of maturity and, and, and lack of uh, decency. I would call it a lack of decency. Um and uh, it's on display. Um, so um, we're going to go ahead and uh, tweet this out momentarily. Who else haven't I called on, uh, guys, who can add some color? Uh, Viva, we, Viva Frey, is, are you there? Oh, Viva Frey, yeah. I, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes. Here, James. Uh, James, first of all, it's amazing. The video is amazing. People will say the individual in the video seems to be intoxicated, so they don't know what they're saying. And my response would that would be to that. 
They're intoxicated, so they have loose lips and they're sinking ships. Um, in terms of who else was not saying this from the beginning, Brooke Jackson has been saying this for a while. She's the whistleblower from the trials in Pfizer. Currently, uh, she has a Ketam lawsuit against, I guess it's the government of America, um, or against Pfizer on behalf of. She's been doing amazing work, so definitely worth reaching out to, um, hearing what she has to say. But this is amazing. It's, it's just, it's the arrogance, it's the insensitivity, it's the in your face, we know what we've been doing, and we just got caught with our hands in the cookie jar. And I love how the undercover work you do, it always involves them at their most comfortable when they think they can be the most honest, when they tell the truth finally, and the world can finally hear it. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the Latin would be in vino veritas. In wine, there is truth. I don't, I don't know if he was intoxicated, but he was talking about the things the company is doing and telling us not to tell anybody. So, um, and uh, so that's, that's very, very true. And, and um, so I just tweeted that out. So now we have the screenshots out on my Twitter page. If you go to my Twitter page, you can see the, this is an internal um what is this Teams or um, yes, teams. Microsoft teams. is this Microsoft Teams internal yes. information? Okay, so we have an internal Teams screenshot. Jordan Walker is three steps below CEO. We know that uh, Albert Bourla was was chased down by some reporters in Switzerland the other day. So this comes right on the heels of that. Uh, and um, to Doctor Malone's point, this is not a low level official. They can't say he's low level, but we are looking for a reaction from Pfizer. Um, we need a reaction from Pfizer. That's what Pfizer ought to do, and this does not look good. So who else do we have waving their hand? We've got uh, – We have Melissa. Yeah, that's Melissa, uh, our Pfizer whistleblower. Some of you might recall. Um, oh, yes. This is the Project Veritas Pfizer whistleblower is on. Melissa, you, you bravely stepped forward a year and a half ago to reveal the internal emails of Vanessa Gelman. What's your reaction to this new report? Uh, well, first off, I'd like to say it's no surprise – I think when I released some of the emails that you showed, um, it kind of showed their immaturity and that they're desperate to keep information from the public um, and that they carefully edit their words and answers to things so that they can get away with saying basically lies to uh, misdirect people, such as things being done in development, production and manufacturing, and uh, how they say immortal cell lines compared to ab aborted fetal cells. Um, different things like that. They call their patients customers. Um, it, I think my email showed that pretty well. Um, my whistleblow wasn't to show that they used the fetal cells in the development. That was to help people with religious exemptions. But the main point of my whistleblow is if they're willing to go to this extent to lie to people, to hide something that should be common knowledge, what extent are they going to to keep other information from us that they really don't want us to know? You know, Melissa, you were very brave and perhaps the first in a series of a, of, of a chain of events because I know you inspired some of our other whistleblowers and and in, and including the, the individual who, who actually recorded this encounter. So without Melissa here, this may not have happened at all. Um, and Melissa, just update our audience for what has the reaction been to you? Have you been punished? Have you been sued um, after that Vanessa Gelman email that you uh, gave to Project Veritas. What, what has your life been like, and has Pfizer reached out to you, and what's the status of that? Uh, the only thing I got was I got a um, 
the voicemail that you released of KJ Wigglesworth from security telling me I wasn't allowed on the premises. Then I got an immediate letter telling me that I was terminated. They said that I quit. They heard that I had quit, but if I hadn't quit, I'd be fired anyways. And then uh, over a year later, just recently, I got a letter in the mail from them requesting $900 for overpayment. (laughs) But other than that, they don't dare talk to me. Um, I still have friends on the inside who tell me things, um, stuff like that. But Pfizer doesn't really touch me. Um, I think they're afraid to. They don't want to give heft to the broad. They don't want to give heft to your reporting, to your to your expose. They don't want to bring attention to the things that you unearthed and remind, remind the audience what you unearthed, uh, Melissa, when you blew the whistle on Pfizer, what was the deception that you unearthed in those emails? They were extensively putting out there, not really telling the truth that um, aborted fetal cell lines were not in their final product, but that they used them in development. And that goes against certain religions for some people. Um, For example, my grandmother is Catholic And she got the Pfizer vaccine because her doctor told her that Pfizer did not use any aborted fetal cell lines in its development, which wasn't true. They didn't use it in the manufacturing. But that's how Pfizer works. You know, they work around that. The question will be, were aborted fetal cell lines used in the development? And they come back with, no, aborted fetal cell lines were not used in the manufacturing or production, you know. They, they do things like that, and then even a Catholic news station told everybody, go get the Pfizer vaccine. Um, they didn't use aborted fetal cells. Um, but the emails that um, I gave you guys showed that they extensively couched their own words where they couched the answer well so that they could work around the Vatican because the Pope already gave the thumbs up to Catholics to get the Pfizer vaccine so that they need to work their answers around that so that they don't have to go back on anything they'd said. I mean, it also shows, in my opinion, that they work with um, big tech because Vanessa Gelman said that she wanted to know who the question was coming from. Was it someone from the general public? Was it someone of importance? Because they don't want to have to have a Facebook campaign that they would have to manage. Um, and, and to that extent was just the extensive, we can't let people know this. Uh, we don't want to raise concern about this topic, different things like that. And I also touched a lot on um, the glowing vials, that the glowing vials were what gave it away for me that something wasn't going on correctly. Um, A lot of safety and quality um, standards were... uh, Sorry to interrupt, Melissa, but just to just want to update our audience. uh, Pfizer has just disabled all of their comms on comments on TikTok this is breaking. Even ads, on even ads, R.C. Max will stand next to me so you can hear his voice. Even ads, they're disabling. And what's interesting about that is that most of our subjects delete their stuff. This happened last week with the, uh, the story that we did um, uh, in Georgia. They delete their accounts. It's almost like every time Project Veritas is published anything, they, de- they delete their accounts. So this is, an, this is a reaction from Pfizer. We have a reaction. Pfizer is disabling comments on their social media. So those are their only reactions. I'm sorry. Those are their only reactions. They don't ever come back like, Hey, there's an answer or a reason for this. They never come back. They just ignore it. This might be a difference. This this one, this one's a little, the venality here is a little more outward facing. So I would say they haven't reacted more yet. 
but they will try to control the narrative. They won't respond to the public. Um, and, uh, and we'll see, but I think that's, that's something. And, and we, again, the, these documents that were obtained, uh, minutes ago from the internal Microsoft teams is a new Pfizer whistleblower now publishing and sending things to project Veritas. So, um, let's see who else we have here. We have James, um, Thorpe, you want you have your hands raised. You're a doctor. What's your reaction to this latest expose? Yeah, thank you. Um, Dr. Jim Thorpe here. I'm an OBGYN maternal fetal medicine doc. And I just wanted to um, congratulate uh, James O'Keefe and Project Veritas. If this doesn't break this whole uh, unbelievable uh, travesty up, I don't think that anything will. But I'm thinking right now, before Brooke's name was brought up, I was thinking about Brooke and you know, I'm thinking, feeling for my colleagues that have been voraciously attacked. You know, I'm, you know, and I, I I'm very, very concerned and focused on that. I, I, I'm thinking of, you know, my colleagues, you know, Dr. Peter McCullough, who's been so aggressively attacked. I'm thinking now about Dr. Ryan Cole, you know, and even Robert, um, we, we, we've all been attacked. And I focused here for the last two years aggressively focusing on my pregnant women. And to this very day, all these companies and all of the boards and the certification agencies are pushing this lethal vaccine in my pregnant women. And it's got to stop. And it's got to stop now. This is, this is the most egregious violation of medical ethics in history of humanity. And all my colleagues that have been facing this uh, tragic uh, threats and the gag orders. It's just unprecedented in the history of medicine. This is the antithesis of science. Um, This false narrative has been exposed. Uh, It's been exposed so clearly. Um, and, And everybody, every single American should open their eyes up, should respect and uh, honor those people, those physicians and researchers like Brooke Jackson and Melissa and Robert Malone, and Dr. Huff and, you know, Dr. Kat Lindley, who's on this line, uh, you know, the CHD, um, Millions Against Mandates. Uh, these are organizations that, that have come together and really expose this. And I'm, I'm so grateful, uh, James, to you, uh, Dr. Malone and and all of the other folks that have set this space up and given us a voice over. Can I jump in right behind James on this? The other group that I ask that we please, um, frankly, mourn for a moment are the profoundly gaslit vaccine damaged that have been uh, also just treated horribly and uh, the, this, the tragedy of believing that you have significant damage, being told from all channels that you must be mentally ill and uh, forced off of social media if you try to discuss your own injury uh, is, you know, and, and then, then we see this glib uh, laughter um, and derision uh, from this, this 
senior executive at Pfizer in the face of the human tragedy of the dead and the damaged. I, 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 I'm just overwhelmed by the whole thing. Over. Well, this is this is really the the mission, you know, going back to the big picture here of of Project Veritas that that um, maybe maybe we can't depend upon our elected officials. You know, we can't even depend on our media. I'm, I'm going to say something ironic, but there's this distributed video which goes brought to you by Pfizer, brought to you by Pfizer. Well, this program is not brought to you by Pfizer, nor can journalists investigate an organization that literally pays their salaries. And, you know, we grew up in this country. I did as a teenager. One of the things that prompted me to start uh, Veritas when I was in college, really, in, in the newspaper form, was watching cable news networks put advertisements of organizations that and they can't investigate. And it's not just, you know, the pharmaceutical companies giving money to CNN, brought to you by Pfizer and Good Morning America, brought to you by Pfizer. It's the New York Times that works in a symbiotic relationship with federal agencies like the FDA and the FBI. They can't investigate these groups when they can't bite the hand that feeds them. So uh, every, everyone's very black-pilled these days, including uh, some of the U.S. senators that I've been talking to who have this content, and I hope that they do something with it. But as an optimist, the reason I'm optimistic is because of the people that I talk to inside these organizations, like the individual who recorded this, and more of where he came from, Melissa, who we heard from. There's probably dozens, if not hundreds of these people listening right now and seeing this. And again, if you're just tuning in, it's Veritas Tips at ProtonMail.com. We have a, I'm in my headquarters and we have people in our office literally manning the phones. I call, I call our tip line. We have our signal account posted on Twitter. I call it the hope line, not the help line, but the hope line. And we're, we're, we're manning the phones. We're, we're getting the screenshots. My producer is walking in my office uh, and, and handing me documents inside Pfizer right now. So hey, this is the beginning of accountability. Um, we're not going to get accountability in Congress. I think we all know that. But the best accountability that we can get is through what I call cinema verite, exposing their attitudes, their intonations, their greed, their avarice, their lies, because um, that's what the story is really about, isn't it? It's about lying to the public. And if they want to do these things, I say, okay, that's fine. Tell people what you're doing. Say, we are mutating this virus. We're experimenting with monkeys. Uh, we're doing all these things. We want to make people sick, so we make a lot of money. So that's what, you know, just, we just ask you to be honest. Um, okay. Melissa, you, have, you want to keep going? You have something else to say? I just wanted to say to anybody who's listening who I know that there's obvious skepticism of people who are scared to come forward because you don't know who you can really trust. Um, COVID has kind of exposed that, that you don't know what media to trust. And I was a regular, everyday employee at Pfizer. I'm just a normal person. I have no credential whatsoever. And Project Veritas was the only one who took my story and gave me a platform to share it, to warn people that they were not giving informed consent and that you can trust James. You can trust project Veritas. They're all good hearted people and that I know it's scary, but be on the right side of history, be in God's will and you'll be all right. Good. Well said. Um, we have um, uh, Heather uh, uh, Mullins, who's an investigative journalist. And then after her back to Matt Tiermont. 
Thanks, James. And I just want to give you a, a shout out as well for your work, James. I mean, you are you're seriously putting out some stuff that is hopefully going to be life saving down the road once we hold these people accountable. So I would ask anyone listening to retweet this space so that James can have a bigger reach because we need to push this information out. Um, but I guess my my question, James, is like, where do you ultimately like how soon do you ultimately see Pfizer being held accountable for these crimes against humanity? Now that the truth is really coming out, if we're not going to see it in Congress necessarily, how do we get to a place where like ju- justice ultimately prevails on this front? Because I've been listening to other doctors like Dr. Richard Fleming has been blowing my mind lately um, with what he's been exposing and it's like the data is just compiling. So I just, I feel like as a reporter, I'm kind of curious what your take is, James, on how you see this moving forward in terms of, you know, the truth taking the moral high ground once again. Right. Do you know good, what I mean? Good question. I mean, I think in terms your question is about accountability and yes. how are how are they, well, how do you bring, bring this sort of bad, any bad actors justice? And here's what I have to say to that. Wait until tomorrow, because first of all, we're doing it. This is accountability. I mean, again, what does accountability look like? Is it jailing people? Maybe, maybe so. Is it organizations losing their funding? I've, I've struggled with this concept of accountability because the number one thing I get asked is, or or told is that nobody's held accountable for anything in the United States of America. And without accountability, freedom itself is an illusion. That's true. But I don't think the salute, I, I think the accountability is exposure. And tomorrow we will release my encounter with this individual. And I have to say that that video is the most extraordinary, riveting thing you will ever see in the history of Project Veritas full stop. When you see what this man, what his reaction is and what he said, and of course I got to do the tease thing because I can't, I can't release all the information at once. There's just too much. And we did this with Acorn 10, 13 years ago. And Congress, Congress, def- remember, Congress defunded Acorn after that story that we did. Now, that was a different world. It was 2009. But Democrats were in control of Congress. Obama defunded Acorn. We released the videos a little bit at a time. Or as, to borrow a graphic metaphor, we cut the puppy dog tail a little bit at a time. We didn't fire all our ammunition at once. So we, got, we have this extraordinary video of this man, the man in the video, and my encounter with him, no hidden cameras there. And and I think when you watch that, I think you go, oh, this is what accountability looks like. This is what, it, for millions and millions and millions of people, and we're talking, this this Project Veritas Twitter video, or this video on Twitter already has 1.6 million views in a couple hours um, on track, on pace, set a record. And um, and uh, we're already seeing Pfizer react here by by shutting down their comments. Matt, Matt Tiermont, are you still there? Do you, you would you like to contribute something? I mean, sure. look, this is a conversation. I've been on some Twitter spaces lately. It's a unique format that can go for hours and hours because it's you know, there's so many facets to to discuss. I mean, you talk for a second about the FDA and the revolving door and the regulatory capture around there. Uh, one of the former commissioners, recent commissioners is on the board of Pfizer. I mean, Pfizer is the largest pharmaceutical company and the FDA is the most important, not just for America, but globally regulatory agency for all uh, regulatory standards for food and drugs. 
uh, and the revolving door. This has captured the highest level, just like Wall Street captured uh, captured Congress with, leading into the mortgage crisis to deregulate themselves. And they went too far. It did too much damage. Uh, and it led to a lot of regulation and a lot of uh, exposure so that people were informed uh, that the banks were behaving badly in many facets. I mean, here, like this could be a, a moment that that much like Upton Sinclair, who I think is the greatest muckraker, his actions exposing the Chicago uh, meatpacking industry uh, 120 years ago, plus or minus, led to the formation of the FDA. People were shocked into action that something was necessary. It needed to be created. And now, you know, this could be as shocking, given how far science has advanced and the kind of rolling of the dice with everybody's life they're playing for profit. And how quickly their morals get rationalized away when there is this profit motive. It's a moment where this industry, which, by way of background, I cover very, very closely. I've been a healthcare analyst for, for 15 years. Uh, it really needs it. And Pfizer's been slapped on the wrist over and over. As we see, it doesn't have any impact. They take even more brazen risks with with their behaviors uh, and and all the massive ramifications to public health that has. So, I mean, I mean, this should be a space that could go on for a long time. I hope we can, you know, get some more doctors in to talk about the clinical trial process and, you know, what what viruses running amok looks like and how you respond to that. So I encourage other doctors in this to bring other doctors in. Very, very. Yeah, we should definitely keep this going. Uh, And James, this is probably the biggest release of Project Veritas yet. You have opened the floodgates about this uh, COVID scandal and Pfizer's behavior. The fact that that the scientist is talking about mutating viruses in order to have vaccines for a future mutation in the pandemic. I mean, how the hell would that even get into the public? If they create a mutation and it isn't uh, circulating, how the hell would they profit from these vaccines? What this guy is saying is that we don't only mutate them, we put them in the public and then we can sell our vaccines. And that raises questions about the origin of COVID-19 and what role Pfizer played in that entire disaster. I I agree with that. And I've, I've got something to piggyback on here. Uh, as some breaking news, uh, I can say officially that hashtag directed evolution is now trending in the United States. Uh, mm. So if you're seeing that, Good. if you're seeing that on your end, uh, definitely keep tweeting it. Let's get it all the way uh, to number one. But I see it at number 13 right now in the United States. So uh, keep Looks like Jordan Christian Walker uh, hit his LinkedIn. And he's uh, very, very hard to find right now. Absolutely. He's going, he's going yeah, that's to what I said, uh, Ian. And fortunately, James just tweeted out some uh, screenshots of yep. his we, we, but just uh, If you're just tuning in, I just tweeted the, the Project Redis has obtained internal Pfizer documents in the last 30 minutes, uh, including an internal staff tree. The CEO of Pfizer is a man named Albert Bourla, and about three steps below him is Jordan Walker. No low-level position. Um, also, we've obtained... Jordan Walker's Microsoft Teams internal Pfizer communications, as well Excellent. as LinkedIn page. We, I have his cell phone number. He went to Yale 2013, Doctor of Medicine, University of Texas. This is a doctor, and as Malone pointed out, um, an expert in mRNA. This is not a low-level guy. Uh, okay. Oh yeah, it's uh, a high-level guy. I mean, I looked in, uh, looked 
into him as well. And some people were DMing me. They said, oh, this is fake. We can't find his LinkedIn. There's nobody named Jordan Walker, Jordan Tristan. I looked it up on DuckDuckGo and I found a, a, an archive for it. It's <laughs> funny, <laughs> it's yeah, I was already on to it. I have, a, I have newspaper reporters and television you know, producers uh, uh, have, who have said something similar. And one of the great ironies of my life is is professional news organizations tell me something's fake and then I got to go do their jobs and find the information. And then it's just one of the great ironies. Not only is our is our medical field completely broken, but our media companies are broken. And, and if they and if the media was doing their job, there wouldn't be a need for people like me. Let's go to Dr. Molly James. Haven't heard from you. What do you what is your reaction to this expose? First Molly? of all, congratulations. This is much needed work that needed to be done a long time ago. So glad it is being done now and brought to the surface. I think the cavalier nature that you see of this physician um, joking about patient patients, patient lives and humanity basically reflects what we've seen throughout the pandemic, which is experts that aren't treating patients, quote experts, are the ones who are driving the pandemic response. None of those people were treating patients and looking them in the eye. And I think that's just very reflective of how this has gone. The whole pandemic team were non-treating physicians. And it's been the independent doctors throughout that have taken care of COVID patients and now are taking care of the vaccine injured who have been absolutely abused and gaslit. So thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you, Molly. Who else do we have here? We have one, um, quick, one, 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 one quick point going to what she just said. I just want to urge everyone to read because she just mentioned something that's so key here in all these debates, the tyranny of experts. You know, the experts telling you just trust us. And when you push to verify if that trust is well placed, uh, it can be very, very aggressive and ugly on a societal level. And that's what we've been seeing. In 1976, Hayek wrote an essay on this called The False Pretense of Knowledge. It was a speech he gave when he won uh, won the Nobel Prize. I just urge everyone to read that because I think it's so apropos of what we're discussing tonight. And I think a lot of people will get a lot out of it. James, I suggest we call on Aaron Cariardi, who is a, both a physician and a card-carrying bioethicist. Uh, in and he is listed as a speaker here. All right, very good, Aaron. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Thanks, James. Um, I just jumped on and only glancingly saw the Project Veritas news, and so um, I don't want to ask you to repeat too much of the expose today. But you know, your maybe your one or two sentence takeaway from what was the significance of what was captured there on film. Um, what what do you think what do you think this actually means about uh, Pfizer and Pfizer's role in our ongoing pandemic management? Well, good question and good to get everyone back up to speed because it's been fifty five minutes since I did that. Um, this is a Pfizer executive. A a his staff chart that I just posted shows that he's not a low level guy. He reports to uh, he's the director of scientific. Um, uh, research and development strategic operations hyphen mRNA scientific planner. And I think the major story here is the deception. He tells our, our undercover, uh, source, quote, don't tell anybody, promise me, he's begging, promise, says this repeatedly, don't tell anybody. Um, and the way it, the experiment work is that we put the virus in monkeys and we successfully cause them to keep infecting each other and we collect serial samples. One of the things we're exploring, these are direct quotes, one of the things we're exploring is like, why don't we just mutate the COVID virus so we could create new vaccines? Right. If we do that, there's a risk of like, you can imagine no one wants to have a pharma company 
mutating fucking viruses, unquote. Um, and then he says something. Well, a lot of people are picking up on this. Again, as a journalist, it's always interesting what the lead is going to be. But this, this seems to be something that, that more mainstream outlets are picking yeah. up on. Quote, um, I suspect the virus started in Wuhan, to be honest. It makes no sense that this virus popped out of nowhere. It's bullshit, unquote. Sort of. Uh, so I think those are some of the. Yeah. Uh, if, if I could if I could add a little a log to your fire, Aaron, uh, what James and company have revealed is a. uh fourth tier executive in Pfizer, so a, a director, global director level, basically bragging about serial passage and gain of function research ongoing at Pfizer involving serial passage in monkeys. Uh, and, and he is relabeling it as directed evolution. So he's playing a word game, which appears to be the same one that Tony. Yeah, Fauci that's, plays. that's right. No, my, my, my first thought is that this is gain of function research. That's what it is. It, it's research designed to make this particular path pathogen potentially more virulent because as it evolves, it usually involves in the direction of increased, um, you know, increased ability to infect someone, increased activity, yeah. particularly in the case if they had vaccinated any of these monkeys, increased. But, but Aaron, yeah. what, what he's describing is precisely what appears to have happened in the original experiments that gave rise right. to this pathogen. Right. He's, he's basically saying that Pfizer is repeating the experiment, creating <laughs> yeah. the, the stuff that was done yeah. at the Wuhan right. Institute of Virology. Yeah. And wow. doing it specifically for commercial purposes. Yeah, right. Over. Right. So, the, and Aaron, what makes this so credible is that this guy thinks uh, he's talking to a friend and a former colleague at Pfizer. So he 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 knows that this person he's talking to uh, was basically Team Pfizer, and that's why he's opening up and yeah. revealing uh, yeah. the worst type yeah. of insider knowledge. So, I mean, so the real lead is. Um, Pfizer executive admits that Pfizer engaged in criminal gain of function research um, in order, you know, for commercial gain. That's my headline tomorrow. <laughs> for under, the guise of, un, under the guise of, uh, of, of calling it something Yeah, that's else. right. That's right. Because gain of function research, as I think most of us know, is, is illegal in the United States. That's why it was – that's why the NIH could no longer do it at the University of North Carolina. When that was discovered, they outsourced it to the Wuhan Institute of Virology and probably other places, funneling the money at least – to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, uh, laundering the money but, but through Eric, the Eric, Health Alliance. Aaron, pl please keep in mind that Pfizer is global. It has extremely tight relations with Israel. Yep. Israel has not signed the biowarfare treaty. Ah. Pfizer, Pfizer is able to do this type of work yeah. anywhere in yeah. the world at any point in time and, uh, and does not need to be constrained by u.s yeah law. no that's a very good point i mean they, um, robert okay and we still we still have not seen the pfizer contracts with israel as far as i can recall um i i released i've released do we that, have that um, yeah with israel and the um pfizer on their israel being their control group can you can you post a, a link to that um at the top of the spaces yes, that would be great melissa um 
Yeah, by the way, we also have 17,500 people listening yeah. right now. This space yeah. will be going on for a while. It's uh, recorded, so uh, for those who are missing it, they can listen to it again later. But everyone who's here right now, this is a groundbreaking story. This is something you know that you don't see yeah. often. I recommend that you go to Project Veritas Twitter and retweet the tweet that was made about the Twitter space starting. Just put that out there on your Twitter. Yes. Everyone can see how many people so, are already in um, here. So this the only other story, this is James O'Keefe, the only other story that compares in terms of its uh, riveting nature is the Amy Robach, Jeff Epstein, because these people, she was talking during a com commercial break so openly and candidly in a way that we don't see people on on mainstream networks talk. And likewise, we don't see Pfizer scientists right. and Pfizer senior directors talk like this. Yeah. It's just so it's so honest and raw. Okay, we have Tom Fitton, head of Judicial Watch, raising his hand. Tom, your response to this? Well, it's incredible news again, James. Congratulations on advancing the public health and the public interest here. And I think it should raise alarm bells. I mean, we just presume that Wuhan did it, Right. And the, and the dirty little secret is that gain-of-function research was widely conducted in China at the with the funding of the United States, and concurrently was also happening here in the United States, and not necessarily in uh, uh, level four labs, but labs with much weaker biological uh, containment protocols, and uh, and of course this this fits in nicely with the story that emerged out of the Daily Mail about six or seven weeks ago, highlighting how Boston University was also messing around with COVID uh, using uh, these gain-of-function techniques. And so now we're going to have to suffer, be warned, James, and everyone else talking about this issue, with uh, weeks of fact checks and uh, explanations as to why this is in gain-of-function. Uh, but gain-of-function is part and parcel, it's clear, of this this uh, this portion of the medical establishment in their analysis of uh, these viruses, and uh, they think it's appropriate. Uh, and when, when you, people think that it's illegal, it's not illegal as they pretend they're doing it. Okay, so it was set up again where you can be doing it within certain guardrails, and they're pretending they're following all the guardrails when, in fact, in my view. Uh, they're engaged in fraud. So I think there needs to be criminal investigations of this type of activity. I think that should have been the kind of the focus with uh, f with Fauci and EcoHealth. And, you know, now Pfizer has some explaining to do. And it helps for listeners to remember that this isn't the first expose, and I'm sure you've probably talked about this already, James, that uh, James has exposed about Pfizer's you know, internal concerns about the vaccines that they shared with all of us who were doubtful on the outside, you know, but they didn't want to publicize it. And Pfizer recalled, you know, as Judicial Watch uncovered, uh, was working, it looks like, the documents strongly suggest, with the FBI to go after James for doing this type of work. Uh, it's it, His story's back, uh, I guess it was the winter of 2021. Uh, so uh, Pfizer is playing hardball, and you can see why they were willing to try to, it looks like working with the FBI, get put James in jail for exposing this type 
of um, not only this activity, but their internal concerns about the vaccines. Yeah, yeah, that yeah Tom, and um, also a reminder here that chains until recently uh, and Project Veritas were banned on Twitter and only because Elon took over and uh, released these accounts from their bans can we now learn about this stuff, this incredible investigative journalism that is really breaking uh, news here with uh, you know new COVID developments out of Pfizer that really put in question what is the role of Pfizer in all of this COVID-19 mess? You know, they were the biggest profiteer from the vaccine sales. Over, you know, half a trillion dollars have been paid for vaccines by governments around the world. What is Pfizer's role in the origin of COVID-19? That is the next big question, because when you have a scientist at Pfizer admitting that they are working on mutating the virus in order to develop uh, custom-made vaccines for that mutation, then one thing that needs to be clear to anyone here listening, they would also have to release that mutation into the public in order to be able to benefit from it. Um, I just want to go back to something that Tom Fitton said, because I think that's really important and a, and a hidden aspect of this. So this is James O'Keefe. Um, Tom, Tom at Judicial Watch got documents from the Department of Justice. This is in the fall of 2021. I think it was September of October. We're going to repost those momentarily. And the documents from the DOJ told Judicial Watch that the Department of Justice obtained has records of communications between the FBI and Pfizer about Project Veritas. We were wondering, why is the FBI talking to Pfizer about investigative journalists? And it's just this whole thing is just, I think it's just pushed people to the edge. People are pissed off, uh, indignant, and, and have a conscience. And uh, and now it's all starting to happen. Let's see. We Does Tom, you, you have another follow-up to that? I see your hands raised. I don't. Thank you. Uh, Raheem, uh, what's your reaction? Oh, hi there, guys. Yeah, thank you. And James um, and the whole Veritas team, Matt, uh, Eric. And, you know, this is this is really, I think we have to stress um, far, far larger than I think it might seem on first um, on first viewing. I watched this a couple of times in a row and then we put it we put the story up on the site as well. And it kind of I went back through everything we know about Wuhan, the the original, you know, tale that we were told about all of that. And I think there are there are really three massive, massive aspects to this, right? Um, one is the news side, of course. The second is the political side, um, which Matt has touched on as well. Um, and the third part is the international side. And, and the reason that is so interesting as well to me is that, um, you know, you had a, a member of the British Parliament, Andrew Bridgen, who was recently kicked out of the Conservative Party for daring to talk about vaccine damage and raising these questions and questions that are being raised to him by his constituents. And of course, that reminded me that it was it was uh, parts of the British intelligence apparatus and indeed the parliament itself, uh, which came out uh, quite a while ago and talked about the Wuhan lab um, more so than was being done here in the United States. And I think when you watch this guy, several things jump out, of course. And and for us, you know, we focused on on the virus origins quite a lot. Um, the fact that he was so flippant and jocular talking about the origins of COVID-19 and how, you know, his belief effectively is that, that it did uh, uh, stem from the Wuhan lab. I think that 
for a start, is going to be a thread that lots of people are going to want to pull on, right? Because, because as you all say, you know, this is not a junior level employee. This is not somebody so sort of far flung from Albert Borla and the management mechanisms at Pfizer. So, so what documentation, what uh, emails are there? What internal communications are there inside Pfizer? And indeed, communications with authorities, governmental authorities all around the world talking about the virus origins, if this is how one of their senior people are talking. The other part that's really interesting, the political part to me, is the lobbying stuff, right? We've seen, uh, James, you mentioned those media clips, right, sponsored by Pfizer, brought to you by Pfizer, all of these news shows and journalists who are effectively compromised out of, of, of even having a, a, you know, an op-ed on this, let alone writing news stories on the matter. Um, but it's also the lobbying aspects of it. And what this chap says in your, in your footage, um, he talks about the, the revolving door between government and Big Pharma. And that's going to be really interesting too. Who are the lobbyists that they've hired? Which politicians' offices had they worked in? I actually put up a 30-tweet thread um, in uh, uh, in response to your video that came out earlier, um, revealing some of the things that we found out over the last three years about this stuff. So the lobbying links, I think, are going to be massive on this too. Um, and then lastly, I think a lot of people forget that the United States is one of the only countries in the world that still discriminates against non-citizens coming in if they are not vaccinated. Uh, the USA, if you are not a citizen of the United States or a permanent resident, uh, will not allow you, uh, either if you're in the country, back out and then back in, or just back in in general. And so how does this impact all of that, um, you know, while they are talking about the experiments they are doing? Uh, to prolong this situation, spending the money, lobbying the politicians to keep that uh, situation in place, and of course, uh, backing it all up with their with their media allies. So I, I doff my cap to all of you. Uh, this is a massive, massive smoking gun, um, and uh, and I just wanted to to lay those questions out there. Thank you, Raheem. Um, let's see, who we have we have uh, uh, Joanna. Go ahead. Yeah, um, so I just want to thank Project Veritas for your undercover work. I am uh, an intensivist and ICU physician, anesthesiologist out in New York, um, and I am, as a physician, so insulted by these egregious, egregious findings, and they are important. It's essential that we look at them, um, but this goes a step beyond the pursuit of corporate profitability and potentially steps into medical bioterrorism against worldwide humanity. Um, and here we're seeing research now aimed at mutating the COVID virus to sell a vaccine. And I'm wondering, I'm, I'm glad that directed evolution is trending right now on Twitter. Um, as Pfizer exists as a major advertiser to major media companies, you know, how this is going to play out in the media later tonight and tomorrow. I'll be eager to see that. Um, but uh, I just want to thank, I want to thank you guys for uncovering this. Yeah. And Joanna, for everyone from the media who's here right now, listening to this, this party of, you know, you getting paid by big pharma for spinning their stories and, telling their scripts to your audience are over if you don't realize that this is the end of the road and that you need to come around and work again for the public instead of your sponsors and advertisers 
then you are really missing a very and, and, important... and I want to I want to jump on what you just said this is James O'Keefe you know if you don't come around you're really missing um, I think it's a really profound point there's a lot of cognitive dissonance here in journalism because they're not reporting on these companies they're they're brought brought to you by Pfizer brought to you by Pfizer that's my imitation of the commercials that you see you've seen on on Good Morning America and uh, Jake Tapper show but what's remarkable is that these people have to lie in or just to to, to th- their whole life is a lie and they have this construct this artifice and they have to maintain that lie and what you see in this video uh, perhaps in more extraordinary fashion than any other video because of just how high the stakes are is this guy he's letting down his his defense and he's being authentic and he's being him his real self and I think that people are gonna they're not gonna be able to construct this lie and maintain this lie forever. The so arrogance, think, yeah, the arrogance and the insensitivity is, yeah, it's it's frightening to see that. Uh, frankly, this guy was you know a clerk at CVS or you know a pharmacist. No, 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 no. This guy, as Malone pointed out, is three steps below the CEO of the company. So, all right, let's go back to Matt and then Melissa, Matt Tiermont. I, you know, we shouldn't be naive and we should remember that the pharmaceutical and drug industry has always been one of the most corrupt industries. And the, the level of laxness in its regulation and the revolving door that's occurred. I mean, you know, somebody just mentioned, you know, ads. Ads are very regulated in how you sell drugs. Frequently, you can't even mention the name of the company. Uh, in many countries, you can't even advertise selling selling pharmaceutical drugs because of the aggressiveness of the sales practice. I mean, I remember when I was covering pharma early the de facto sort of sales process of drugs was you had sales reps going to docs and saying, my drug is better than my competitors and giving them everything from pens to lunches to trips to Bermuda. And that got more heavily regulated. And that was some low hanging fruit. But now with the, the regulatory capture that uh, Dr. Malone so you know well led with at the beginning of the space, it is over the top and it needs that sort of moment of re-regulation. Uh, I mean, to give you another example of a storyline, Raheem's done great work on a ton of COVID in Europe. I mean, a lot, Tom, uh, Dr. Malone, uh, one of the stories that I've been watching because I work with uh, Adam Angievsky and open the books is the NIH has redacted the royalties. These guys all get all the, the public sector, high ranking medical professionals that determine all the most important decisions for public health. Many of them get royalties from pharmaceutical companies, many of them from Pfizer, and they've redacted what those royalties are, the details behind them. All that exists is a date and a name that they exist. So you don't see the amounts. You don't see the dates. You don't see the the purpose for them. And, you know, that's something that's been mentioned in congressional hearings. Like we are in a moment and this really I do believe I told you this the other day, James, uh, leading into this. I think this is the biggest story PV is ever exposed because it literally touches everybody. It is the determination. Those who determine public health at the highest level, and now we know the whole system is rotten from the top down. It's also going to establish. Thanks, Matt. uh, It's also going to establish if you know where where do the boundaries lie on people's consciences? Like where I view this, you know, we're trying to be the custodian of the public's conscience and test and affirm. Where where, can we agree on anything in this country? Yes. I mean, this is something that we ought to agree on, but people's, you know, loyalties to their commercial advertisers or to some, some dogma. I mean, this is just, this is just wrong. Okay, let let me go to a few people we haven't heard from. Uh, 
uh, do, uh, Dr. Dr. Deb, who's a doctor from ICU. Are you there? Hi there. I, I, I just can't thank all of you enough. That's amazing, amazing work um, from the doctors that I believe are on the right side and have been dealing with COVID and treating COVID and treating backs injured. You guys just blew it out of the ballpark. And I, I, my heart just goes, is so full of, of great gratitude. Um, I want to say that this this guy that spoke out, this fourth level Pfizer guy, he reminded me of being in the doctor's lounge and, and as if he's a, acting like a second year resident who knows just enough to be dangerous with his arrogance and um, his lack of empathy and lack of compassion um, to think that Pfizer would start trying to make more vac- more mutate this and make more vaccines. I mean, to me, they're like a glorified meth lab. They just want to keep making more vaccines and injuring and killing more people without any conscience. I mean, they're, 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 I've just had such a visceral response to this whole evening, and I hope this just leads to more and more. I agree these people should be jailed and, and if not, there's just, this is, this is taking down medicine. You know? Well, uh, thank you for, for the remarks and uh, accountability, uh, repeating myself here, but, you know, people come and go on the show here. So uh, tomorrow we have a follow-up story where I encounter this man and speak to him for quite some time, perhaps the most bizarre, riveting, enlightening, entertaining accountability you'll ever see in your life. Let's go to uh, Joel, Joel, comms director for Matt Gates. Are you there? We saw Matt Gates tweet the story out. What's your response to this uh, Pfizer expose? Hey, James, thanks for having me on the space today. This is probably one of the most shocking Project Veritas investigations I've seen to date. And I think Pfizer needs to answer critical questions about this immediately. I mean, and you can bet I sent this video to every member of Congress that I'm close with as soon as I watched this guy. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as soon as I watched this guy not only admit to gain a function activity within Pfizer, but openly compares their work to the sequence of events that led to the Wuhan lab leak that unleashed the coronavirus onto the world. So I'll be pushing members of Congress to start demanding answers on this and to start calling for the folks in this video to testify before the U.S. House of Representatives immediately. This is an explosive report. I just want to thank you all for the work that you've done, and uh, I'll make sure to push this to members of Congress. Joel, I get asked by everyone, and I hear what what can Congress actually do? Um, So for people like me who aren't really in politics uh, and, you know, literally in politics, more in, on the journalism side. What what can Congress do about Yeah, the- Yeah, well, first and foremost, Congress's job is to legislate and to get down to the facts. And so we need to hold investigations, and we need to be bringing in folks into the committee rooms, into the hearing rooms that are relevant to these investigations, like you, like the reporters, like the folks in the video. And we need to get down to what actually happened. So we have to expose the truth in the Congress, and then we have to have the American people demand accountability from a corrupt DOJ, unfortunately, but that's what needs to happen. It seems to me like the pe- the people have to kind of uh, groundswell a little bit and, and give the, 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 the political capital to Congress so that there can be at least some, like one Democrat or something has to come and say, okay, this is wrong. Uh, maybe this is one of those issues. And Melissa- Yeah, well, hopefully that explosive reporting will do just that. Thank you, James. Thank, thank you, Joel. And, and, and thanks for the Congressman for tweeting this out. Uh, oh, Tom, Tom, your hand is still raised. I don't know if Tom Fitton, you have a follow-up? Yeah, you know, this highlights, James, the one of the reasons that Fauci and company and so many were hesitant to get into the China issue. It's because 
as I said earlier, we were doing and funding the same research that was concerning in Wuhan. And we, you know, there's this presumption, you know, you know, maybe a fair one that it originated in Wuhan. But this, this story raises the question as to the origin of the variants. Did any of the variants result from this type of research? If my question uh, for the uh, medical experts on the panel is, is there, is there an innocent explanation for this? In vaccine development, do they take viruses and put them into monkeys and see how they, I, I call it metastasize, or, or as you point out, directed evolution, James? Is, is, is that ordinary in the development of vaccines against emergent viruses like this? Or is this an extraordinary step uh, that should be frowned upon inherently? Uh, can I field that for starters? Yes. Um, the the use of gain of function research in vaccine development has often been in the stage of investigation of of why a given characteristic exists in virus A and not in virus B. There was quite a bit of this type of work done on H1N1 at the CDC and trying to understand the difference in where different isolates infected lung. And part of that research was done by swapping genetic elements in and out of different viruses. This type of uh, directed evolution, quote unquote, uh, the justification the gentleman's providing is immunologically naive at best, uh, the protection, as I think even Kim, I mean, Kim.com, I'm pretty sure made this point right off the bat. Uh, immune response is more than just antibody. It's more than just a single epitope. It's a broad response across multiple different evolved immunologic systems. And the, the core thesis that the gentleman is floating here is a frankly naive, but uh, it is uh, emblematic of the culture that seems to believe that uh, it's okay to uh, play around like this, to just poke around and do investigations uh, because, because it's possible to do it. The technology is now so powerful that doing this type of stuff is pretty straightforward. It's easy to do. And uh, it, it is not the norm. It has no uh, um, solid immunologic basis for what he's proposing, that you would generate uh, specific epitopes and then uh, identify those as more pathogenic and then build a vaccine against those uh, in a proactive way trying to anticipate viral evolution in a population. It's, it's as I said at the start, the hubris um, is overwhelming for me. But uh, beyond that, the naivete that this gentleman would be a senior worldwide uh, director responsible for RNA vaccine strategy and be speaking like a second-year immunology graduate student at a at a mid-grade university just 
boggles my mind. I, I, I'm just overwhelmed by, by uh, kind of the just gross naivete that's displayed by these statements. So, no, this is not the norm. It has been the norm in the past to ask questions about why virus A versus virus B causes disease in a certain way. But uh, driven, directed evolution to um, identify potential future risks is, is absolutely not the norm. But it appears, if you can believe the documents that were obtained, uh, and I, don't, I think Veritas may have had a role in that, or it was Blaze, uh, in obtaining these documents that apparently originally came from a server at DARPA that describe the uh, logic that the virus uh, work at Wuhan was done to uh, somehow create a live bat vaccine. Um, the, the kind of the naivete in that logic is very much mirrored in what I'm hearing from this gentleman. And it's, uh, it, it reflects a culture that uh, believes itself to be um, untouchable, basically, that these are the best and the brightest, and they have the right to experiment with these uh, pathogenic agents. Uh, and um, none of us really have the right uh, background uh, insight to uh, be able to impose any rules or regulations on these people. That's that's the culture you're dealing with. Over. You're referring to the DARPA file um, that was Project Diffuse, that was uncovered by Project Veritas. R.C. Maxwell here filling in for James O'Keefe, who had to step out. Uh, We have a couple of hands up. Mr. Tom Fitton, go ahead. Yeah, to follow up on uh, Dr. Malone's point, you know, my concern is that this is the tip of the iceberg. A, we can presume the federal agencies working with Pfizer and Moderna were aware of this type of experimentation. We need to know the details of it beyond what we're hearing, who knew what and when. They work hand in glove with the FDA on this. I guarantee you there's funding and, and collaboration with NIAID, NIH generally, and HHS. And then secondly, we should presume if if Pfizer thinks they can do this, its competitors are doing it, and independent laboratories uh, separately looking at this are doing this type of experimentation because, you know, this is this is government operations in effect, and uh, they like having these types of experiments and activities going on in more than one lab if they can do it. And so uh, these are dangerous times, and I think there's urgency uh, for public officials to figure out what's going on and stop it before another contagion uh, decimates us. And I, I just want to say I strongly concur with what Tom just said. This this suggests the casualness of the statements suggests that what we're looking at is a widespread uh, normalized practice within this entire industrial sector. Over. This uh, this really reminds me of in terms of the level of medical ethics and the necessity for a public debate 
given the the stakes. Uh, the last time we had this in this country, I think, was uh, around stem cells and around cloning. And that was some years ago. Uh, and given the tailwind of government spending that's now attached uh, to everything around COVID, uh, the idea that they could be playing a game of hiding behind prophylactic development. You know, this is somebody at the very beginning suggested that what are we going to hear them say as their uh, their excuse if they have to, if they're forced to, based on the public outrage, uh, address this head on. They're going to say we were doing what science does. We were testing the boundaries for the common good. But when it, the stakes are so high, doesn't the common good have to weigh in as well on if we think they're acceptable and that the risks that they're taking combined with the obvious profit motive that exists? Uh, and I think that this could really catalyze that debate, much like we had the debate around stem cells and cloning in the last uh, uh, 25 years. Yeah, I mean, I would submit to follow up quickly that no legislature at the national or state level would ever agree to gain a function research. This is a creation of the uh, the Fauci sector of the uh, the medical research community. They convinced themselves that they deserve government funding. The government, you know, Fauci partnered with them. Others partnered with them. Uh, but, you know, Congress hasn't approved this, and nor would they ever. And so um, it should be just presumptively uh, deemed inappropriate and anyone doing it should be investigated given the radical, you know, the, the dangers of, um, it, uh, you know, the, the future dangers of what would happen in addition to investigating whether or not it caused the current pandemic. Yeah. And the, the ethical defense here and the, the attempt at reframing that we'll probably see over the next couple of weeks is going to take the form of describing dual use um, in the biodefense sector, this has always been the argument put forward for justifying gain-of-function research. It's sort of like an arms race where we know that the, the argument goes something like this. We know that China is going to be doing this. We know that other uh, potentially dangerous actors are going to be doing this. So we have to do it, too, in order to keep up and in order to try to develop potential defenses against these types of pathogens. I think we're going, and I'll explain in just a second why that argument doesn't really hold weight and how to respond to it. But I think we're going to see the same thing here. Pfizer and their defenders uh, in the corporate media and elsewhere are going to say, no, look, what they were really trying to do is develop more effective vaccines for a future variant. They weren't trying to create a super virus uh, to harm people. They were trying to create better vaccines and anticipate where COVID is going to go in the future. And so I think we need to be prepared for that kind of uh, counter argument in an attempt to justify this. And I, I think in the biodefense realm, um, the the idea of nuclear proliferation is often held up as an analogy. You know, the, the Soviets and the North Koreans are developing nuclear weapons. So while we would like to get rid of all of our own nuclear weapons and not engage in developing weapons of mass destruction, we have to do it for the defense of our nation because if they have it, the only deterrent is that we have it. And if they have it, we need to figure out how to defend ourselves against it. And you're going to see a similar argument when it comes to gain-of-function research. The difference, of course, is that a, a nuclear weapon does not accidentally walk out of a nuclear silo on someone's shoe and accidentally detonate 
you know, quite easily. In other words, it's once you create these viruses, it is virtually impossible to contain them, even if the BSL-4, the high security laboratories, followed all of the strictest guidelines that they're supposed to follow, which they don't, and there's very little oversight. But even assuming that they did, one uh, slight human or systems error is enough to release these highly dangerous pathogens into the population. It's, it's as though you were working in a nuclear silo and, you know, on any given day, if you didn't do 12 things in the exact right sequence, the nuclear bomb would be launched. You know, the nuclear missile would be launched. So gain-of-function research is actually a, a kind of death cult. And the we have to do it because they're doing it defense only proliferates the danger. It does not provide any sense of security. It only increases the odds, the plausibility that one of these viruses is going to get out. Um, and so, you know, I think it's important for people to be equipped with, uh, first of all, an anticipation of what, of what the defense is going to be, the moral justification or the scientific attempts at justification, and also understand that those analogies uh, don't really apply and that um, and that it clearly Pfizer was creating a, you know, potentially creating a super virus. Uh, whether that was their intention or not doesn't really matter. The fact that they were doing it and the fact that that dangerous virus wouldn't exist in the world without the experiments that they were engaged in, I think that's the decisive point. Can I can I amplify a little nuance on what Aaron just said? The press repeatedly assumes that the Wuhan Institute of Virology funding comes just from NIAID. Uh, I broke the story last fall. The Defense Threat Reduction Agency within DOD in the Threat Mitigation Group, which is exactly the same group that's responsible for... Um, let's say, mitigating the threat of nuclear proliferation is also the group that is capitalizing the Wuhan Institute of Virology from the United States. Well, what Aaron has just shared um, actually is uh, profound and deep. It, it may seem a superficial analogy, but structurally, it is the same folks, it's the same culture, it's the same institutions that are handling both the non-proliferation quote-unquote agenda as well as uh, this type of uh, dual-purpose research, um, as he's describing. Over. I, I want to make one more point, that uh, just a riff on what was said earlier uh, about the, the, some of the political issues and the structural issues here in the United States. It's very clear that the Department of Justice is defending Pfizer, and I think someone mentioned earlier the FOIA request to get the Pfizer clinical trials data. I, I was the doctor that coordinated that group of doctors and scientists to file that FOIA request to Pfizer to get information that under federal law, Pfizer was required to release the day that community was given provisional authorization. So the legal issue in that FOIA request is very, very clear. We were simply asking the federal government to do what it was required to do under federal law. There was no debate about that. But the Department of Justice lawyers representing the FDA in that case, as many of you probably heard, uh, tried to slow walk the data. They said, we'll give you 500 pages a month. 
which if you do the math would have taken 75 years to release data that the FDA reviewed in only 108 days. Then Pfizer intervened and Pfizer said, let us redact that data before it's released to the public. And which wasn't surprising, given that that may have been in their corporate and their their financial interest to redact data that may have undermined safety or efficacy of the vaccines. But what was surprising to us was that the Department of Justice lawyers representing the FDA agreed with Pfizer and petitioned the court to allow Pfizer to redact the data. So when it, it came time for the FDA and the DOJ to do their job in terms of transparency, um, and actually just following what was very clearly laid out in federal law, they instead sided with this corporate interest and sided with um, trying to protect that corporate interest. And that's just, you know, one small piece of evidence. I'm sure Project Veritas and others that have been doing work in this area could cite other pieces of evidence of this of this melding of state and corporate power, this trend that we've seen particularly during the last three years, but building up probably over the last two decades of a kind of corporatism where the state is not acting in the in the interests of either the rule of law or the elected representatives and and their interests, but acting in the interests of um, particular corporations that they have basically gotten into bed with and um where, where the, the state and the corporate interests for one reason or another are aligning. And we're seeing not only the power of a multinational corporation like Pfizer being able to protect itself, but the power of the United States government acting on their behalf to also protect them. So this is going to be an uphill battle. Uh, this is James O'Keefe again. I just tweeted out the, the letter that uh, I believe it was Judicial Watch and Tom Fitton obtained between uh, the Department of Justice and Pfizer, um, the Department of Justice admitted that material exists of communications regarding Project Veritas, remember we're a news organization, uh, between FBI officials and employees of Pfizer. So talking about Project Veritas and in an extraordinary admission, the DOJ admitted that those materials exist. Um, and Tom found this document. I just, I just literally tweeted it 30 seconds ago. I reposted it and it says the material requested is located in an investigative file, which is exempt from disclosure. Tom, I, mean, I don't know if you can uh, speak to that a little bit and uh, and finding that letter about and, and it's. I think it's unusual for the DOJ to make such an such an admission, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think that's a fair analysis. Um, you know, when they say uh, what they said was essentially, we have a file on you, right? There's a criminal investigation going on. And there are communications with Pfizer as part of that criminal investigation, and Project Veritas is caught up in it. And so the conclusion, and of course, contemporaneously, you had been releasing that set of videos, um, if I recall, uh, uh, with some Pfizer folks and others who were worried about the the um, you know the vaccine safety issues. So uh, you know um, you know Pfizer is obviously very sensitive here. You know we have other documents showing how the agencies were working to, you know, coordinate and push out these vaccines, um, which obviously had financial benefits for Pfizer. But I want to go back, if I could, James, to this issue of gain of function and the kind of the bioweapon side of it. You know, looking at the materials that we were able to uncover um, about what we were doing in China, it, it's pretty clear that we were running some sort of 
half-baked intelligence operation against the Chinese. I mean, our partnership, at least with the Academy of Sciences on some of these biological research projects, go back to 1983. So, you know, it's hard to tell where one, you know, one interest ended and the other began in terms of the Chinese and American interests here. But it became pretty clear that um, there was a lot of investigating going on as to what the Chinese were doing. And what's incredible is there was a Dr. Uh, Ping Chang, uh, Chen, who was an agent of Fauci, essentially. She was working out of the embassy in Beijing for NIAID. Now, to me, it ought to be widely known that Fauci had a, a woman in China doing investigations for her and representing his agency and U.S. interests and trying to figure out what the Chinese were up to. You know, as best I can tell, we're the only ones who've talked about her and disclosed her. And it was so it was so, it, it was so crazy. It looks like that we were were very worried about what Wuhan was doing. Chen talks about being able to go into the lab and not being able to take pictures and sending back reports and folks treating it like it was an intelligence document, her reports. So we're worried about what they're doing while funding it at the same time, which kind of has kind of the fingerprints of the intel community or that intel operation aspect of it. And of course, you know, when we start asking questions about what we're doing in China with gain of function at the beginning of the pandemic and where it emerged, it's right. We're racist. Right. And then we started raising questions about gain of function in Ukraine. Why are we why are we running path, you know, maintaining pathogens and and other dangerous type of experiments in biolabs in Ukraine? Oh, you're a Russian bot. And the next round, I predict with this is you're anti-vax. You don't want Pete. You want people to die. How we're going to figure this out? It, it's such dishonesty and full design to protect very dangerous research, which may have a military application that I would think potentially is defensible. But rather than confront that honestly, they pretend uh, nothing's happening untoward. All right, uh, Tom, and uh, let's go to Jody O'Malley, who's a whistleblower, not from Pfizer like Melissa, but of um, of. Uh... HHS, Jody, what, do you, what is your reaction to this latest expose? Jody, your story on HHS uh, in the emergency room there was probably one of the most watched videos in Project Veritas history. What's your reaction to this report, Jody? Well, first of all, I am so stoked that we have a, a platform now that we can speak uncensored. Because when my story was released, even though Project Veritas was banned on Twitter, I think it got like 5 million views in a couple days. And so I just want to say to everyone, you know, that, I mean, ethics are compromised in every single facet of our society, right? And so we have to all be citizen journalists. Pull out your phone, James, like you say. Pull out your phone and, and record what's happening. You know, it's like we, we all have a responsibility here. Everybody's saying that you know, nothing is getting done and nobody pays for it. But you know what? Me recording in that hospital and showing what was happening in real time and people's true thoughts and opinions, we we saved, I, I'm going to guess, millions of people from getting the vaccine, right? I mean, I get so many people reaching out to me, like thanking me for releasing it and saying, I knew something was up. I knew something was up. Jody, remind, remind people what you exposed in that, in that, and what was the, 
the headline there and, and what you caught on the camera in the emergency room? So it was called, I think our tweet was called um, vaccine, HHS vaccine whistleblower or something like that. But what I had done for everyone that um, doesn't know, I am a, a master's prepared critical care nurse. And throughout COVID, I worked in the ICU, ER, and hospital supervisor. So I saw all facets of how our government ran and how all of the protocols were just directly coming down from HHS and seemingly disseminated overnight that all hospitals in our country, you know, doctors, you know, advanced practice nurses, people that got on board with this protocol that completely violated our ethical principles, completely informed consent was taking out, um, you know, and like I said, people did not want to take the vaccine. When it first came out, there was only like 25% of the population that did. And then in September, October of 2021, they started really throwing the hammer down everywhere and saying, oh, you have to do it to keep your job. And then they got about 50% more. So about, I would say, probably 75% of the population is vaccinated if you're including all of the the people that got the religious exemptions, the medical exemptions, and um, and then the fake vaccine cards, right? So many people were like, you know, I'll just get a pay for a card. And, and they were able to, you know, continue working. But, you know, it, it's like we were able to. So what I exposed essentially was I pulled out my phone for everyone that's not aware. I pulled out my phone and I started recording um, cases of myocarditis and young, healthy people, um, people that just took the vaccine. And then a couple of days later, I was in there with myocarditis, pericarditis, congestive heart failure, um, pharmacy, that, that's not... And you recorded your colleague in the emergency room saying these things were happening and, uh, you know, yeah. we may not have reported it and these sorts of things. I want, I want, to, I want to, Jody, uh, we'll go back to you. I want to go to, we got two doctors holding. This is Dr. Uh, uh, Tal Braun, U.S. National Counterterrorism doctor. Dr. Tal, what's your reaction to this uh, latest Pfizer video blowing up the Internet right now? Um, well, first of all, like a lot of people, I just I, it's so vital for me to thank you for your work. Um, and also just thank everybody that is participating on this call. Um, my reaction is. Uh, you know, thank goodness more and more information is being released like this that is just uh, much easier for the public uh, to digest, to understand. Uh, all of this stuff needs to be broken down into layman's term. And um, I think it reminded me um, of sort of at this moment, I remember where Albert Baller basically said that they were competing with Moderna, you know, that they had to work so quickly because Otherwise, Moderna was going to, you know, capitalize this sort of opportunity. And I think that what you're seeing here, like a lot of people have um, have mentioned, is sort of this brazen approach, corporate speak, um, forgetting sort of uh, that the world is not seeing this in the same way or sitting in on the same meetings. And I think that more and more of these moments, you know, that like 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 this moment where people get sort of caught red handed and um, we can, you know, use these as more opportunities to demand answers. I think they're absolutely vital um, in moving us forward. I think my biggest um, 
sort yep. of con concern with this at the moment is that in predicting their behavior, I think that at some point um, there will be a sort of a feeling that's put out and then there's some, some course of action that starts reining this in. And as somebody that works within the space of bioterrorism prevention, I think the next trick that they're going to pull is basically just word change. And I think that my concern over here is that my research has brought me to just looking at that the technology has moved into the space of, of synthetic peptides um, with high levels of, of uh, uh, pathogenesis. And so let's say they just change the word and stop using the word virus, stop using the word gain of function. Um, there is such limited regulation over an entire industry now that can just make synthetic toxins uh, that can wipe out a whole city. And, you know, I think that that's their next trick uh, in just in sort of just slipping, uh, you know, sleight of hand over here and sort of, OK, well, we'll we'll behave now. Um, but then the rest of this industry that builds deadly toxins, you know, just carries on doing what they're doing in labs and, uh, uh, you know, within research projects all over the world. Well, and thanks. Thanks, doctor. This is uh, uh, James O'Keefe uh, again. And uh, for those of you who are tuning in, this has been going on now for two hours um, and it's really extraordinary. We have 17,000 people on this. This is the second time I've ever done this. So it's new to me. I feel like I'm hosting a radio show. It's kind of cool actually, and much different than what I'm usually doing um, is this story is really about deception. It, this, this is a story about deception and deception is ultimately the greatest story. And in other words, lying to the public about your product. And we've done project Veritas has done a couple Pfizer stories. Melissa, I know you keep having your hand raised. We'll get to you, Melissa. But uh, Melissa, the whistleblower um, from 21, who released emails within Pfizer showing Vanessa Gelman and company in, inside the highest levels of Pfizer uh, admitting to lying to their customers about the product. Also, scientists caught by undercover journalists in September 2021 saying that your antibodies are more effective than their vaccine against. That was Pfizer people saying that, not me. And now this guy saying that we have to call it not uh, gain of function, but call it, for example, directed evolution and saying, don't tell anybody. So I think all great, all of our videos, the, some of our best videos simply involve deception. And if we can't agree as Americans, if we can't agree that it's wrong uh, to lie to customers about what's, what, what's in your product, to deceive customers, then, you know, I actually believe we can agree on that. And that's the solution to bring bring people together and make these issues more bipartisan. Let's go to Dr. James, James, really quick. Yeah. This is far more than deception. What you have uncovered here is a criminal conspiracy of top Pfizer scientists creating a mutated version of the COVID virus to release it to the public, to have a vaccine ready, which they can then sell, which is effective against that mutation that they have created. This is a criminal conspiracy killing potentially millions of people. You know, so far, 6.7 million people have died of COVID-19. And we already know this virus has been created in a lab. It was funded by the U.S. government. Now, who was the biggest beneficiary of this? And it's now talking about doing it again. 
mutating a virus and then profiting from the sales of vaccines. This is the biggest crime against humanity since uh, the Nazi Holocaust. Well, I mean, and you, you're, you may you may very well be right. I I think that I hope that you know when people talk bring up vaccines and Pfizer and COVID, it, it tends to be a, a divisive topic, like many things in our society. Um, I'm reminded of something Glenn Greenwald wrote about Project Veritas during the FBI raid, and the headline was um, "Those whose worldview is bereft of universally applied principles and based solely on tribal allegiances." everyone else is plagued by this very deficiency. And on this matter, regardless of what you think of the vaccine, regardless of whether you're a doctor or not, my point is that some people, we need to reduce things to their most simple binary. And a powerful person in a billion-dollar corporation who's working for the person, working for the CEO, saying that we're lying to all of you and we effectively want people to get sick and die so we can make that money, and then we're torturing animals. I hope that there can be 99% agreement on that. And that is the mission of Project Veritas. I fully respect what the doctors are saying. I'm glad you're on the show. I, I, I kind of want to hear from some left-wingers, though. I mean, what do you have to say, Adam Goldman, at the New York Times, huh? What do you want to say in your reporter's notebook, Mr. Adam Goldman, Mike Schmidt, Huffington Post, Daily Coast? Do you support stuff? And then they yeah, say, if we've got any journalists, if we've got any journalists on the uh, on the space here listening, uh, send a request. Send a request. I'll be looking. I mean, for what you're and... doing is you're killing. You you think you're helping yourself by staying silent, but what people are doing is they're going to leave y'all and they're going to come watch our stuff because it's more interesting. It's edgy. And by the way, I know that because they privately tell me that. They won't say it publicly, of course, but they'll DM me off the record. Wow, what you're doing is edgy and cool. I wish I could do that. What do you wish you could? You can do it. You don't have the balls to do it. James, you know what that's called? It's called journalism, and they don't do it anymore. And Project Veritas and the alternative media, Project Veritas being the most aggressive methods to cover, to uncover the biggest scandals that affect the most. And it, this is effective. And that's why I think this is such a big story and such a big deal and will catalyze hearings, enforcement actions, new regulation, arrest and accountability. And this goes a lot higher up. It goes back to uh, what I'm trying to do here is transcend the divide over public policy, because regardless of whether the vaccine is good, bad or in between, this guy is saying on tape, I am lying to the people about what I do. And we have to agree as Americans, 94 percent, 98 percent have to agree that that is wrong. I go back to this Glenn Greenwald article, great article. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, Project Veritas, and the inability to think in terms of principles. If we base our, our, our view solely on our allegiance to a particular public policy, we will assume that everyone is plagued by that deficiency. And as the custodians of the public's conscience, it is important for us to expose the deception towards the public. Now, do we deceive the subject? Does Project Veritas uh, deceive the individual recorded? Yes, because we have to do that in order to tell the truth to the public because the public is being deceived by this individual that works for Pfizer. So all of our stories have deception in common in the sense that we're exposing uh, uh, powerful people admitting that they're lying. And I want to say something else about this that I think is particularly uh, two weeks in a row. Last week, we caught a Georgia official. This is a guy uh, in Georgia, 
selling curriculums. He claims he's and he says and he's and he's talking about the meaning of words. And he says, well, I can teach critical race theory as long as I don't call it critical race theory. And there's a remarkable similarity between what that guy was doing and what this guy is doing. This guy is saying, well, you know, don't call it gain of function. We can do it on a different language. So there seems to be a pattern in bad actors. They change the meaning of, they think by changing the meaning of words and by changing how they describe the events that it somehow changes their behavior. If we simply capture them on tape, admitting this, then I think we'll hopefully save society from the brink of collapse. Let's go to Mr. Kevin, Kevin, Mick McKernan, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? You did research and development at MIT. What's your yes? Latest? Uh, well, so I've worked on the Human Genome Project. Uh, managed the. I was a team leader for research and development there. And um, I've got to say, there's another angle to this. And hats off for you, James. Thanks for doing this. I feel like I've been scribbling into the wind for two and a half years now. But I did write on this directed evolution topic. Uh, back in 2021 in my Substack, and must thank uh, Dr. Malone there for giving it a little pump on Twitter. Um, so here's the thing, is they don't really need labs to be doing gain-of-function research, which leaves a breadcrumb of trails back to them. All they need to do is to get the population to accept mutagens as COVID-19 therapies, which they have done. Molnupiravir, uh, remdesivir, these are nucleotide uh, analogs that increase the, the mutation rate of the virus. They've done this um, while suppressing other generic treatments, which do not. I'd, I'd even argue Paxlovid does this as well because it gives you rebounds, and rebounds are just variant factories. All right, so if they get that mandated in places like California where you're not allowed to speak out against it, and they have vaccines, a population that's addicted to these vaccines that lower white blood cell counts, the physicians will prescribe all the gain of function they need. Uh, so they're very good at this. Uh, there's another thing ongoing with Pfizer you have to pay attention to. Um, they, in, in the last few years, purchased Trillium Health, which is a CD47 blood cancer company. Uh, CD47 is the other receptor for SARS. So that You might know about ACE2, but CD7, CD47 is another one. So uh, this happens to be a biomarker for people who get excessive uh, COVID. So they are already have one chess piece ahead on the board in regards to capturing up the companies that are going to be treating the very diseases that they're causing with these vaccines. So uh, with that, I'll, I'll hand it over. Wait, 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 wait a minute. This is, uh, I, I try to understand this. What you are saying is Pfizer is releasing medication or Big Pharma in general is releasing medication that's supposed to help you against COVID. But what it actually does, it triggers more mutations of the virus, which guarantees that new variants of the virus remain in circulation for a longer time so that they can sell more drugs and more vaccines. Do oh, I yeah. Get... The, the other part, Kim, here is that you pay for it, not them. But, I mean, that is incredible that <laughs> that they are releasing actually in order to keep the pandemic going for as long as possible. That, on top of a very narrow epitope design in their vaccines, is a pretty good signature that they're not trying to stop this. If they wanted to stop this, they would synthesize antigens in, in a vaccine that is more broad than just the spike protein. That's only 14% of the virus, which is why this thing just, you know, wades around it like a paddle in a river. 
Hey, Tom, what more do you need for a criminal referral to the Department of Justice? This guy who has admitted on camera that they are trying to mutate the virus to sell vaccines. I mean, that's criminal, right? Well, you know, if, if uh, you know, obviously the, the, the joke is that's for the courts to decide in the end, right? But in my view, uh, and I'm not a lawyer, but I've been around, you know, government investigations for a long time. You have all these hallmarks of fraud related to the use of government funds. There are significant restrictions on gain of function. I don't think they're sufficient. I think they allow too much of it to go on. But I think they would explicitly prohibit the type of activity we're talking about and what EcoHealth had been doing with uh, with the knowledge and approval of it looks like for years of the NIAID. So in my view, there was enough information to conduct a criminal investigation into what was happening. And this is just on top of it. And, you know, some of the documents we uncovered showed that the FBI was looking into this issue uh, back in the first part of 2020. Where that investigation went, I don't know. But there was enough, we know, for the FBI to investigate this issue. And, of course, um, it would be nice to get a full accounting for that. But uh, government money is not supposed to be used for this. And I and I doubt this is research that's independent of government funding. I just doubt it. And that would be, in my view, they're only out. Thank you, Tom. Uh, let's see. Dr. Mark, uh, can't pronounce your last name, Mark. Uh uh, you are the founder of the Regenerative Medicine LA and CEO of, of is it Regen or Regen Labs? Regen Labs. Yes, I'm Dr. Mark Galili, uh, board certified internal medicine. It's a pleasure to speak with you, James. Uh, your work is truly groundbreaking and is uh, saving humanity. So I want to applaud you and thank you for everything that you've done for us. Thank you. Um, let's see. Going back to the whistleblower, <clears throat> started it all. Just, Melissa. just uh, well, yeah, yeah just, James. Just, Sorry, James. I, I, could... I wanted. I wanted to. Uh... Mark, you there? We lost Mark. Well, uh, briefly, James. I, I'm still on European time. This is Robert, uh, and so I'm going to respectfully clock out. And you know, with congratulations, and hope the rest of you carry on as you are. Okay. Be great. Before you leave, uh, thank you very much for everything you've done. You have been uh, a bright light in the darkness. Uh, you know, since everything uh, came out with COVID nineteen, your stance that you've taken uh, has educated a lot of people and given a lot of people courage. So I really appreciate you very much. Okay, so night, night, all. Um, we're hoping that uh, Elon Musk decides to join this this uh, Twitter Spaces. I'm I'm eagerly anticipating that. Um, let's go to back to Melissa Pfizer, whistleblower, who's had her hand up for 30 minutes. Melissa, <laughs> there was a few things I heard uh, questions asked in this, and whether they're rhetorical or not, I wanted to answer. Um, just a little info on me was I was hired by Hospital in 2012, and Pfizer bought it in 2015. And I was terminated in 2021. I had two positions out there, a pharmaceutical assistant for five years and a manufacturing quality auditor for four and a half years. Um, one of the things I, uh, Dr. Robert Malone said is that Pfizer is worldwide. That is correct. They had a research and development lab in Wuhan. A lot of their collaborators are in China. When I was searching that database every day for several days, there was a lot of documents in Chinese I could not understand. Um, there was a lot of documents 
including the Chinese, um, referencing them back and forth, which I thought was a little much. Um, Rahim, he had said earlier that, are we going to pull at the thread of China involved with this vaccine? And I would like to say that um, I had friends in incoming quality in the plant who, when this product would come to the plant, it would be marked like just, for example, A, B, C, and D. And the instructions for the worker who worked in the Pfizer plant would be mix bag A into bag C, bag C into bag D, and then combine. But all of the markings would be in Chinese. So we were actually receiving product for the vaccine from China um, to create it in our U.S. Pfizer buildings. And um, he also talked about the political aspect of people from, you know, in politics coming in. Senator Roger Marshall was one who, a couple months before my termination, he came and they treated him no different than they treated the FDA, which is they hide everything. They tell the employees to go hide for an hour. They shut down the lines they don't want them to see. And they do a guided tour, like a field trip for third graders, where they're not allowed to go to certain areas or workers aren't allowed to go down certain hallways because they may accidentally talk to the FDA. And so they actively doing that. And I posted on my Twitter some of my things I revealed to you, James, on Project Veritas, like blacking out the windows before the FDA visit, before the quote unquote approval of this vaccine. Um, and how that was against our um, rules from day one of me being out there almost 10 years was you have to be seen at all times out there. But there they were blacking out the windows, making sure people couldn't be seen. And um, I just wanted to throw that out there um, that China is very much involved with this vaccine, which I thought was odd considering that's where we thought it came from. And that the FDA and Pfizer are best friends i work now for we have, well, now we have this is james o'keefe now we have melissa the um we have the guy admit, admitting that he thinks that it was invented in wuhan let's go to tracy beans editor-in-chief at under uncover dc i like uncovering dc <laughs> thanks james dc is a horrible place the swamp i have a rule uh uh tracy i only spend a few hours in dc until i get out of there so What's your reaction to to this story, and what are your comments on what we've uncovered? Thanks, James. It's been a crazy few years covering this in depth, um, and your work has been fantastic along the way. This is a blockbuster reveal. My train of thought, and maybe some of the doctors on panel can answer this, um, if you remember when Omicron hit us, it, it was it was so far removed genetically from the original strains of COVID that everybody was kind of scratching their heads. Where did this come from? And I'm just thinking out loud and pondering, you know, the bivalent booster kind of tailored to Omicron. What are the chances that this was a Pfizer created variant? Because lots of folks were talking about how it looked man-made when it hit the when it hit the states and, and the world. Can any doctor chime in on that or any epidemiologist on the uh, on the call right now chime in on your thoughts? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Matt Tierman, back to you. Well, I think we lost some of the docs, unfortunately. Uh, but I mean, look, there were a lot of uh, mutations and variations and viruses are going to do that naturally. And generally, the strains will get weaker because we'll, more and more people will develop antibodies, which are the greatest response you could have as opposed to, uh, you know, a natural antibody. Most doctors, most scientists agree is uh, a better situation than saying having an injection of an experimental vaccine that we've seen has some issues. Uh, those issues 
are going to be with us for many, many years. And because it was such a, uh, a catalytic, I mean, teaching your body to build your cells to build spike proteins, uh, that's a whole different kind of mechanism than has been widely approved in the past by the FDA, which common sense and general uh, practice from the FDA historically would be, well, we need more time. We need more years to see what this kind of catalysis can do in terms of dominoes getting knocked down and what kind of other mutations may, may result. And that I know that, you know, my own read watching this uh, warp speed, watching them rush this after watching. I've been watching drug approvals closely for the better part of 15 or 20 years. I'd never seen anything like this. And I was thinking to myself, this is pretty nuts that the, that public health could be risked under the guise of a bigger scare when a lot of us were questioning the the magnitude of why we should be scared in the first place. Uh, you know, a lot of people are talking on this about, you know, how big a deal it is Pfizer lying. And I just feel like I got to remind people, big pharma, Pfizer and others got into uh, lots of uh, legal and regulatory problems and big fines, some of the biggest fines ever levied on big pharma uh, for doing clinical trials in Africa on human beings and not giving informed consent. Uh, and Pfizer did it at a very, very large level and was fine for doing uh, trials in Nigeria. But they were just this was just coming off the heels of another company, a CRO doing it. And so, they, you know, the regulation, and the finding didn't have any dissuasive effect, which is pretty amazing, which is why I keep saying we really need uh, a moment like we had in 2008 and nine with banks and in other sectors historically where we have like really wide arching re-regulation because there, there's been too little deregulation. This is a very fast moving scientific industry. Tom Fitt made a point about Congress, you know, the restrictions on uh, on uh, gain of function research. Well, and. And Congress restricting, but not really heavily regulating, because they're always going to be behind the curve. And maybe we want Congress behind the curve, regulators behind the curve on innovators, because otherwise they might be stifling innovation. But now with this magnitude of this kind of permutation to the entire global health of humanity, we need to have a debate about this. And we need to, you know, not just wait and see what happens and then, you know, be reactive, because the stakes are just way too high. Thank you, Matt. Uh, James, by the way, your video almost hit 3 million views in just three hours. Yep. So this yep. is something that is really hitting a nerve. A lot of people are retweeting this right now. Anyone in this room who hasn't retweeted this yet uh, should retweet the, yeah. the video. What we call it Project Veritas Critical Mass, where it, it's it's remarkable that, that you know, the networks aren't touching it. But I, my view on networks is that People will stop watching it to watch this. I just, uh, Jack Prasobic, Jack Prasobic just tweeted, you know, now you know why they hate, uh, uh, us and Project Veritas. I retweeted Jack and I, I said the following. I said, I love my life. Um, I'm not suicidal. And thank you, Elon Musk, for bringing us back on Twitter. Uh, but, uh, some people, you know, people ask questions. This is an interesting question to ask. You know, do we fear for our, physical safety and and the answer is usually the way the system hurts people like me or tries to hurt us is through the the justice system the courts that's how they they try to break you they try to break your will with 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 uh, frivolous litigation but you have to hire lawyers and defend yourselves project Veritas, by the way we've been sued for defamation many times but we've won every single defamation lawsuit uh, but it's cost us a lot of money but in terms of like physical safety, I definitely think uh, the video you, you'll see tomorrow, again, just to give a tease, because one of the questions here is what's next? 
Um, again, for those of you tuning in, some people have left, some people have come and gone on this on this Twitter spaces. I had an encounter with this man uh, last night, one of the most insane encounters ever, and that that is a, a new threshold and and a new riveting video that you'll see uh, tomorrow. And I think that you know, I I, I think that um, I just want to say that I, I I'm I'm not suicidal. I love my life. Uh, Veritas is going to be around for decades to come. And um, for those of you who are listening who do work in the pharmaceutical industry or the medical industry or the government, um, it's Veritas Tips at ProtonMail.com. That's V-E-R-I-T-S Tips at ProtonMail.com. We've received uh, almost a dozen uh, tips from people on the inside of place like Pfizer just in the last two hours. Let's How about someone in the FDA? James, get, get people in the FDA. We need some whistleblowers in the FDA. And sure, is- sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, these people are probably, Matt, they're probably typing on the proton mail right now and biting their nails, wondering if they should fire off the email. Or, I think there's I think there's so many people in this country who are on the precipice of taking the action, but they're afraid. And I always said this, I'll say it again this evening, that I cannot philosophize courage. I can't talk people into doing this. The only way for people to do it is to observe somebody else do it and get away with it. And Project Veritas is doing that very thing this evening. This is historic. Our video has 3 million views. Pfizer has responded. They've shut down their comments on TikTok and elsewhere. That is a response. And you'll see the, the next Pfizer response tomorrow. Um, who should we go to next, Eric? Spradlin? Hey, James. James, I have a quick question. You mentioned earlier that uh, because of persecution and cases brought against uh, Project Veritas to silence you, uh, you have costs. Um where can people go? I mean, we have 15,600 people in here right now. Where can people go to support your important uh, journalism? And especially, I think a lot of people will agree with me that we are very thankful for this release right now because this is probably the biggest uh, story of all that you guys have ever released. What can people do to support you to make sure that you can stay in the fight? Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for that question. We are a nonprofit organization. We're tax deductible. And you got 15,000 or 16,000 people live right now. Go on our website, projectveritas.com, projectveritas.com, and make a donation. Even if it's $10, even if it's 50 bucks. I know you can afford it. We don't put our stuff behind a paywall. I mean, our, our, we have we have 20-plus journalists that work here, employees um, and, and they need, they, they need to get paid. They need to be compensated for their work. We, we put this stuff out for free. Uh, we're not governed by a commercial imperative. Uh, we're not a for-profit organization and we're not, and no one tells us what to do. Um, we have tens of thousands of donors, but they don't tell us what to investigate. We're not brought to you by Pfizer, brought to you by Pfizer. We're not brought to you by anyone. We're, we're doing, we we don't choose our stories. Our, our stories choose us. And, this man was recorded by someone who works for Pfizer and the people that work here are so passionate about what they do. They believe in what they do. It's actually kind of hard to find these days people who truly really believe in what they do and would do it for free. So there's a flip side of that coin. I can't save the world unless I can pay the rent um, and frankly pay the legal bills. That's another story. So, so go to our website, projectredhouse.com, 15,000, even if 10% of you, you know, donate right now. If you if you believe in this work, if you want to see more of it, 
donate to us. Um, you can subscribe to us via donation. It's sort of goodwill. It's philanthropy. But we would ask that you do that so that we can continue this crusade. Um, and, and uh, you know, as soon as I'm done with this Twitter spaces, I'm going to put the finishing touches on tomorrow's video, which is unbelievable. It might get three million views in the first 10 minutes. This video. Hey, hey, let me know how many donations you get in the next hour. Send me a DM. I will double that. So I... anyone who donates now. Whoa. Project Veritas. Whoa. In the next hour, I'm going to double that. So, wow. you know, we got to support this journalist. Live. This is live. Absolutely. I will, uh, I will jump in on that. Up at the top, guys, uh, you can see a pinned tweet from us uh, that's got a link to our website where you can donate. Uh, definitely jump there, make the donation. And, Kim, thank you so much for that. Uh, we'll keep you posted on, uh, on yeah, what Eric, comes Eric, Eric Spracklin on my team, make sure you monitor with our, with our, with our team how many and the total aggregate number of donations here uh, in the next uh, 15 to 30 minutes. Thank you, Kim. That's very generous. And thank you for the question. Again, we don't take advertising money and we're not a for-profit company. And I just want to say one more comment on this. I think that money has corrupted journalism to a certain extent. And investigative reporting will always be a philanthropic endeavor. Let's, uh, who else, Eric, should we go to that's uh, here on the, on the program? FYI, money's also corrupted the pharmaceutical industry. Just a heads up on that. Uh, so I, I see we've got somebody on here, um, Silent Survivor. I, I saw you requested, you know, quite a while ago. You've had your hand raised. Uh, we'll open the floor to you. I know that you, uh, based on your account, you know, there's some vaccine injury stuff that you've been talking about. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, Mr. O'Keefe. Um, yes, I am vaccine injured myself, uh, not from Pfizer, but from Moderna. Mr. Spracklin, I too was blocked by Pfizer on my other account, by the way, um, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, I that's a badge of honor. Yes, it was. Um, one, I was um, reposting your videos, but also I was only right. taking truth statements from the Pfizer five to eleven um, trial. But anyway, I just wanted to say that, and then I'm going to throw something out before I have a, something else to say. Did doesn't Pfizer have a lab in South Africa, and did isn't it believed that the Omicron may have started someplace in South um, South Africa? I believe. So anyway, just throwing out that out there. Maybe somebody has some more information. I have a little brain fog, but I recall hearing something about that. So yeah. Anyway, um, I am vaccine injured, and I just want to thank you so much on behalf of. The, the millions of us who are injured um, because of the lies that have been told to us and we've been co coerced to get this and mandated to get the vaccines. I'm sorry. Um, and we know now that so much of this was hidden, you know, with looking at the Twitter drop and, and the Facebook um, documents, they knew that our injuries were true, yet they wanted the White House and others decided that you know, they wanted to, to label us as misinformation so that it would not add to the vaccine hesitancy. Um, but thank you for helping us get acknowledgement um, and justice. This is what we need. So many people have have spent th thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in trying to get healing because we are ignored by, by our government. And then just finally, Mr. Fenton, um, if you're still here, I have 
problem seeing. Um, if you're not, hopefully you'll hear this. Um, we can't let our governments off the hook. I know you want to go after Pfizer, but FDA, CDC, NIH, ASPR, HHS, DOD, they all have to know this is taking place. There, These, you know, pharmaceutical companies are not going to do this, you know, secretly. So don't let them off the hook. Go after them. And I appreciate everything that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. This is James, and, and I appreciate your 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 passion. Um, this is a mission of, of exposure. We, we, uh, by the way, interesting, uh, if you search Pfizer, spelled P-F-I-Z-E-R, and Project Veritas in Google right now, we're just doing this, we're at Project Veritas headquarters, it says, it looks like the results below are changing quickly. If this is a topic as new, it can sometimes take time for reliable sources to publish information. This is a true story. I might tweet this graphic out because it's, I don't know whether it's uh, Orwellian or what to call it. But when you type in Project Veritas and Pfizer into the Google search bar, it has a little thing that says it looks like the results are changing. Come back later for your results. So this goes back to the idea of what is a credible source. I mean, you actually see the video of the man and his lips are moving. We don't, Project Veritas does not ask you to trust us by virtue of the fact that we are to be trusted because we say we're trusted. That's what CNN does. Project Veritas shows you the primary evidence. We show you the firsthand evidence. We don't ask you to trust us. We ask you to trust your lying eyes. And that's what makes us different. Um, and I hope that in terms of accountability, that you know, sensible people look at that and look at what Google is doing right now. And that, and that awakens them. That has to happen. Uh, when they see that, and, and I'm going to say to my team, if guys, if you could please tweet out from the Project Veritas Twitter account this Google query result, which is actually funny. I think it's funny, actually. I know it's, I know it makes you want to cry, but sometimes it's, it's just funny. Truth is stranger than fiction. They, uh, make, they make memes of themselves. Uh, I just want to alert the crowd because I've just been informed by Mr. Raheem Kassam by Mr. Raheem Kassam, that he donated. So follow his lead and donate to Project Veritas because this journalism is intense. It's one of the reasons that none of the uh, the mainstream do it. And by the way, as they lost their investigative journalism arms, they became more political editorialists and stenographers of the establishment. Uh, so these things are somewhat correlated. Project Veritas needs support to continue to do work like I, this. Yeah, and uh, just to note on I, the donations, yes, we appreciate uh, all of them. Uh, there are a bunch flooding in. Uh, thank you all for your support. If anybody has just recently tuned in, there is a link uh, up at the top on one of the pinned tweets uh, where you can find our donation link. All donations are tax deductible, so uh, keep them coming. Kim.com said he's going to match them all within the next, oh, about 50 minutes. So uh, keep the donations coming, guys. We appreciate and it. Kim, you, we're going to hold you to that matching uh, offer. So we <laughs> no worries. That's and, fine. Uh, and uh, another important thing, for any journalist listening to this, for anyone in law enforcement, for anyone working in the government, COVID also killed some of your friends, hurt some of your uh, uh, relatives, uh, you know, people that you care about. Stop 
covering for big pharma, stop covering for big tech, stop covering for the government, for the people that are responsible for this pandemic, responsible for the vaccines that are damaging people. Like, you need to change course now. This story is so big. You are on the wrong side of history. You need to change course. May I just say one final thing and then I will go down and I'll be quick. And I'm just pleading to the people at Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, AstraZeneca, all of the pharmaceutical people. There's got to be good people that work there. These vaccines have killed people. They are injuring people. Please do the right thing. Come forward. We are praying for you to do this. Humanity needs you to do this. You, you folks, you folks, sorry for that. You at HHS and DOD, do the same. Do the right thing. I know there are good people that work there. I worked there. Please come forward. I have friends that I have people, family lost lives from these vaccines. And and they can go to not Ghostbusters but but Veritas Tips at ProtonMail.com. That's Veritas. T- who are you going to call? Right. I mean, if you're a whistleblower and you work for the FBI, I mean, think of our recent whistleblowers. We had one. Uh, we had Tara Rodas from Health and Human Services Office, Inspector General. We had uh, Kyle Serafin from the FBI. How brave for a man inside the bureau to go on stage in Arizona like he did. And to, and to leak documents like he like he did or share documents like he did. Thank you. I um, go down he, now. Thank you. Thank you for your for your um, heartfelt comments, Eric. Who else do we want to go to? Uh, I see Alex joined uh, not too long ago. Uh, Alex, you yo, joined? yes. Um, sorry, I'm very That's late true. to this space, so I don't know what's actually been you know, fully discussed. But I guess my, my first reaction is what, what would the legal implications be to this? I'm, I'm not sure if somebody, you know, asked that already, but it doesn't seem, you know, legal. So just kind of wondering on that. So what, what the Pfizer employee uh, senior scientist has revealed is that uh, Pfizer is plotting to create new mutations of the COVID virus in order to develop a vaccine for a specific mutation so that they can make money with the mutation that they would eventually have to release to the public in order to sell the vaccines. Because if you create a a specific mutation, you can't make money with it unless it, uh, it circulates in the public. So if they are planning to create mutated versions of this virus... Uh, then it also means that they will have to release it in order to sell more vaccines uh, to patients. And that is criminal. And I hope, uh, you know, there's uh, some lawyer here or someone here who has a legal background who will make, uh, you know, criminal referrals to the Department of Justice. This guy needs to be investigated. And all the colleagues that he mentioned were with him at this me- at this meeting discussing these plans. Uh, they are part of a criminal conspiracy and need to be held to account. This this goes a lot higher than him. This is being these decisions are being made. I mean, they know that they are doing something that is 
avant-garde to to say the least and to be generous this goes to this chief science officer the chief medical officer you know the big pharma companies they have obviously a business c-suite but they have a very very large uh internal boards and staffs of the highest level thinkers about these issues and they're green lighting this this cannot happen without the highest level taking part in that decision making and this idea that they could be playing uh, to make a prophylactic just in case, uh, Kim.com says it perfectly. There's no way that it would not be released because this sets up an asymmetric risk with an incentive structure that's totally out of whack with what's good for society and all of humanity. I mean, this could literally be crimes against humanity if they release viruses for profit. I remember, you know, Mengele uh, during the Holocaust experimenting on people or the Tuskegee uh, uh, Airmen experiment. I mean, these are high level uh, debates that need to be had on what constitutes, you know, necessary regulation. All right. Um, uh, Matt, uh, who else are we going to go to on here? Aaron? We've got Doctor. We've got Doctor. Cat Lindley uh, back in as well. I know that you uh, had just requested to speak. So, uh, Doctor. Lindley, if you had anything to add from what you've heard uh, over the last hour or so since you dropped off before, uh, the floor is yours. Hello. Um, yeah, I'm Doctor. Mark Galili, and uh, I wanted to discuss a few things. I wanted to first of all, my first, my heart felt, my heart goes out to all the people injured by the shot. I do want to start by saying a few things with Pfizer. It's not their first uh, evil wrongdoing. As you know, in 2009, they had to pay $2.3 billion for fraudulent marketing. And then the $24 million they had to pay for kickbacks. Um, we all know about their drug Bextra, which was taken off the market due to causing myocarditis and heart attacks in people. And most recently, their newest drug is called Paxlovid. And if you look at Paxlovid closely on a chemical structure, you'll see it has three fluoride molecules in there. And if you actually do your research on fluoride in, uh, within pharmaceuticals, you, there are studies saying that fluoride reported, uh, reported that excessive fluoride can induce apoptosis, which is basically cell death, in the thymus of rats and inhibit immune function. So why would they want to put out a drug that's inhibiting your immune function? <clears throat> Doesn't make any sense to me. But that's pretty much their proven track record to me. And what I do in, uh, in my office, I've seen hundreds of these injuries come through thousands of emails from all over the world um people have been gaslit all over so my heart really goes out to them i think they need a they need a platform because they're censored all over social media and the internet nobody listens to them and once they put out a story they're poof vanish no one hears about it um i see anything from most commonly brain and body disconnection this chronic fatigue that actually gets blamed on the virus itself and not the shot that they got, um, neuropathy, significant neuropathy, like burning in the back of their skull all the way down their spine, very common, muscle aches, fatigue, um, chronic pain, anxiety, palpitations. I've seen blood clotting in 25-year-olds where you think, why is there blood clotting when I'm starting an IV? It makes absolutely no sense. But my question is, how can we get them to take on liability for this? Well, I uh, don't know if Dr. Kat Lindley knows the answer to that question, but Dr. Kat has her hand raised. Are you there? I'm here. I think everyone is aware that liability because of the EUA and stuff right now is something that they are protected against. Uh, but, you know, 
I agree. We cannot stress enough the cost to human lives that has happened because of this. You know, I'm happy to testify in Senate. Uh, uh, colleges are still mandating vaccine. I'm an 18 year old who's about to start college. We have to make them accountable. And I think the best way to do this right now is send a video to your legislators. You know, it's really easy to look up who your representatives and senators are. Yes, we demand accountability. People need to be brought to justice because even as we're speaking, there are people who are spreading these injections. We have to stop it. Thank you, Dr. Lindley. Uh, you were cutting out a, a little bit, but I think we got most of it. And I, um, I, so I, I just want to thank Dr. Dr. Cat. I love your Twitter profile. It says, quote, the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose. It will defend itself. St. Augustine. That's Dr. Cat Lindsley's. That's one of my favorite quotes it's sitting in my office. And I want to re read that again to all of you because uh, I think it's relevant to the story. The truth is like a lion. You don't have to explain it or defend it. You just show it and it'll defend itself. And sometimes people just need to see, you know, all the medical journals and documents and discussions in the world sometimes doesn't compare to an image of a Pfizer guy showing his conceit, arrogance, lack of introspection, narcissism, uh, greed, and avarice. Uh, all right. Eric, who's next? It's eleven hey, thirty. So yeah, James, jump. I... that's the second, guys. I, I I think we got something big here. Last week, the CEO of Pfizer was in Davos and was doing an interview about uh, new variants and new boosters. If you don't mind, I would like to play that to you. Go ahead. It, it's a forty-five second clip. Listen sure. to this. When it comes to working on boosters every year, how how do you know which strain? you're targeting at this point. You know, every time a strain comes up, we treat it like if it would be a suspicious strain. And we start working on it to see if we'll uh, uh, overcome the protection of the vaccine. Once we discover that there is a possibility, immediately we develop a kind of a vaccine just in case the authorities will ask us to do it. It is not our job uh, other than discussing with the authorities, but eventually it is CDC, it's FDA, it's EMA in Europe and other authorities that Looking at the data, we'll see, we want you to make a vaccine that looks like that. And then we will make it. And in order to avoid losing time, we start always for every single virus mm -hmm. to prepare doing that. When it comes to working on boosters... So, here, so what, what he's saying here is plays perfectly with what this uh, uh, Twitter scientist, sorry, this uh, Pfizer scientist has revealed to you uh, that, you know, these new mutations lead to, that they are creating, lead to the creation of new vaccines and new boosters. And what he's basically saying, what uh, uh, the Pfizer CEO is saying, we will have an arsenal of new vaccines ready for new mutation, new variants. So when the government comes to us or any government around the world and says, hey, we would like to have a specific vaccine for this specific mutation, we will have it ready for sale. I mean, it couldn't be more obvious. I 100% agree with that. And at the same time, just to, not to sound you know too alarmist, but just the idea of as a mechanism of action, creating a vaccine where you inject m you inject a mRNA message to create spike proteins. That's a catalysis. 
Catalysis leads to other catalysis, which leads to other unforeseen consequences because we are not God. You know, historically, vaccines were inoculatory. You take dead viral skills, you uh, cells, you inject them so that your immune system recognizes them. And in their weakened potency, you build an immune response. You build up natural antibodies uh, to that dead antigen. Well, now we're like screwing around with something that we've never done widely. We're doing it to all sorts of populations with no long-term safety data. And any time you have a new mechanism of action, you want long-term safety data, not one year, not even three or five years. Seven years is a, is a, a, a general minimum for any new drug, let alone a new mechanism that you're doing, especially on kids, because we still don't understand the way kids' cellular division and growth occurs perfectly enough that we'd want to be screwing with it. Uh, so, you know, pharma has been running amok now using COVID as an excuse and experimenting on people with new mechanisms. It's it's shocking the amount of things we're going to see. That's why we're seeing some very ugly things in the news cycle. And sadly, I expect that to get a lot worse uh, because, you know, what is cancer? Cancer is just a, a out of control cellular division and mutation that results from it. It's a catch all for many, many, many things. And I shudder to think the new things we may be seeing in the future as a result yes. of all this short-term, no-safety-data experimentation on the entire population of humanity. I mean, it's frightening. Yes. By the way, I pinned that tweet with the recent interview of the CEO of Pfizer to the top. Uh, what I recommend to Project Veritas, just reply to your own tweet uh, about the video where you had the breaking news and uh, reply with the link to this tweet because those two together tell the whole story. Here you have the Pfizer CEO basically saying we are creating an arsenal of boosters for new mutations and you have the Pfizer scientist telling your colleague uh, that they are creating mutations in order to sell boosters. I mean, it's fucking incredible. Well, and what they what they don't say, but it should be, you know, the next logical conclusion. What happens if there are no mutations that require these boosters? Uh, then the stock price goes down. That's what, you know, Ezra Levant did a really good on the street, spontaneous interview uh, with Alfred Bulas and Davos. And it, it was very, very mature lines of questioning. And he couldn't answer any. He could not even make eye contact because, you know, he knows the plot. Uh, so he can't even, you know, give hints at what they're thinking or the risks. And that alone should be a, another watershed moment of the, the mass outrage and necessity, the demand, the clamoring for regulation, or at least hearings that might lead to regulation if we get, you know, an honest hearing system. And we debate this with doctors like Rand Paul and Roger Marshall or Rich McCormick, who's a, a former military and career doctor who just entered Congress. I mean, we have some very smart people who can really hold some feet to the fire. And I know that James and I will be reaching out to try and make sure they do. I uh, just want to point one thing. Clinically, COVID at this time is truly like having a cold. So why are we even pushing for boosters that have side effects? And like you said, we have no long-term data on young adults. They keep on saying uh, myocarditis is mild. It is not because it causes scarring on heart muscle. And it's just ridiculous that we're even having this conversation on doing experimental uh, analysis to create new boosters when clinically we are not seeing what we used to see initially. 
Well, common cold remedies don't, uh, and generic and over-the-counter don't have as high margins as experimental vaccines that can be force-mandated uh, and bulk purchased by the federal, local, and state governments and put on the physician fee schedule. I mean, the entire health healthcare system is a cartel of fixed pricing by the federal government. Pharma working very, very closely hand in glove uh, to do so using Medicare and Medicaid as sort of the initial bulk buyer. And then everything cues off that. The whole system needs to see new anal- analysis and regulation enforcement action when the se- incentives get misaligned with the general social good. And that's where we are. Uh, just FYI, Kim.com's James O'Keefe here again. Uh, looks like your offer to um, match donations is uh, blowing up. I think we've raised some $30,000 in small donations. Beautiful. Uh, Beautiful. 40 minutes. Give more. Give more. We still have 20 more minutes. I, I went, Let's I, go. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Now, and these are small donations. So, so um, uh, it, it, we, we have 20-plus journalists. I have to pay their salaries. So we really appreciate everyone. None of us would be having this conversation, but not for the undercover journalist who recorded this guy. And by the way, yeah, that's just not that's just not easy uh, work. That's just not go oh, go to a meeting that requires months of rapport building and research. And um, you got to find the people, to, the brave people to do this, recruit them, vet them, train them, equip them. Uh, it, it, it's a lot. And, and not to mention the entire legal department at Project Veritas, which has to stand firm to defend our First Amendment rights to do this work in a world where um, we're targeted for doing it. It's targeted for doing what 60 Minutes used to do or Primetime Live used to do or uh, CBS News used to do 40, 50 years ago. But now they don't do it anymore because they're brought to you by Pfizer, brought to you by Pfizer. Um, so thank you for that. I'm always going to I'm always going to offer my journalism commentary because I think Real journalism can save us from the brink of collapse. Um, I am going to check out here soon. Um, back to you, Eric Spracklin, uh, who's who's next on the docket. All right, guys. Yeah, so James is going to drop up soon. Uh, we'll keep the space going till about 12, uh, 12 midnight here on the East Coast. Uh, so we got about 20 more minutes. Uh, I know that there's quite a few of you guys that have requested. Uh, we're going to get a couple more speakers up here who haven't talked yet. Um, but if we don't get you to you tonight, you know, stay tuned. We're going to continue hosting these spaces. Um, you know, we, we definitely want to continue this dialogue with everyone. Uh, so I'll get some more speakers in here. Uh, but let's go to um, Dr. Molly. I see that you're back in. If you have any, any final words that you want to say, uh, the floor is yours uh, or Dr. James. I, I see you back as well. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. I just want to say this. This discussion is not complete without Finderella Wan. Um, she is another physician with us and has been on the very leading edge of everything. So you might want to consider bringing her up um, before you close out. But if, if this is what you see and this is what they're planning to do in the future, imagine the crimes against humanity that have happened in the past. You know, this is a concerted effort by Pfizer to block early treatment. Hundreds of thousands of people died because of that. Um, we saw vaccine complications in the ICU as early as March 2021, and nobody was reporting that. And what happened is the doctors who saw that and talked about it no longer have a job. They forced this on healthcare workers and continue to do so in the hospital, giving no credence or um, not acknowledging a natural immunity in any way. And I posted up on the nest here that they actually have an FDA hearing, I believe it is tomorrow, to make these shots an annual 
um, to go from the regular ser- or the initial series to the boosters and make those an annual shot. So maybe give that a look. Um, we hashtag stop the shots, and I would suggest you guys tweet that out. So thanks. All right, everyone. This is James O'Keefe uh, signing off to uh, produce and finish producing the video that will come out tomorrow. I'll leave you with this. Um, my encounter with this Pfizer executive will air tomorrow later in the day. Um, and um, Can we do another space after that, James, once you release that? Yes, we'll do another space. I don't know. I, I do well, yes, and you will match the donation. Uh, <laughs> will that be a daily thing now? <laughs> Colleague, is, that wasn't my idea. John over there was was came up with that, um, and we'll, do, we'll probably do a Twitter space. We'll probably put that out tomorrow. And um, thank you all, and and uh, Veritas most libra beat. The truth shall set you free. Good night. Good job, James. Thanks, James. All right. We've got, uh, I believe it's Jamal Holly. Uh, I saw you had your hand raised. The floor is yours. Yeah, thank you very much. I wanted to catch James before he go. Jamal Holly here, uh, New Jersey State Representative Emeritus from New Jersey. First off, I just want to thank James and the whole Project Veritas uh, team. I think this was by far one of the most explosive uh, reports uh, you have done. And I'm a Democrat. And uh, Big Farmer is headquartered here in New Jersey. And we've been able to beat Big Farmer on some of the mandates that they tried to get through the New Jersey legislature. But what I, what I, I guess what I want to say tonight is, and this was a very good discussion tonight. Uh, what I want to say t- tonight is, while we are very outraged that this has happened, some of us have knew all along. But I think now what we need to do, and I, I want to recommend to Project Veritas and James and the whole team, we have to move to an educational space where we educate the public, we continue to bring the public on, and and educate them because it's it's sixteen thousand folks online tonight, but I think that there's thousands and millions of more who who just don't have this information and are very much suspecting all along what was going on. So I would like to see this type of space move from reporting, which has been great, but also educating the rest of the community. You guys have done a job well done. I love the discussion tonight and uh, look forward to to tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, And I think that's a great point. You know, we'll continue to evolve these spaces as we go. Um, you know, we just kind of got started with these last week, um, but we've, you know, quickly found success with them. And, you know, we hope you guys are enjoying them. Um, I see, let's see, Steven, Steven Steele, uh, YouTube talk show host and uh, recording artist. Uh, the floor is yours. Hey, thanks, Eric. Um, appreciate the space. This is just, in my opinion, the most explosive, most significant uh, Project Veritas uh, expose thus far i mean this the implications of this are just even just hard to wrap your head around i think uh kim stated uh pretty accurately earlier so basically what you guys have done it seems that you've uh caught uh and confirmed that pfizer is essentially creating new problems to sell new solutions at the expense of our our lives our freedom 
uh, and our safety, um, all with the help of not only Twitter, Facebook, and now it's seemingly uh, Google, which doesn't really come as a surprise to some of us who've been following this for a while. My question is, with the collusion of not only our government with, with a company like Pfizer, not only with big tech and everything else, <laughs> anything else that directly impacts how we communicate, how we research, and, and what we get to see, how does this impact the collusion of all of these massive, massive entities together? How will this impact uh, Project Veritas um, uh, focuses in the future? Matt, do you uh, you want to take that one? Sure. I mean, look, the, obviously, uh, PV has focused on a lot of uh, different sectors of of society, media, politics, or corrupt uh, corrupt politicians, not politics per se, but the bad behavior of the you know that goes on in our electoral system, which is rife. Uh, and education has been a huge focus, which you know because again, like public health, it's something that touches everybody. Uh, you know, everybody, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, uh, you know, y'all care about your kids. Everyone cares about their kids and everyone also cares about their health. And we have done, you know, with COVID, we definitely had some great stories. We had some of our whistleblowers from the inside and people uh, who came to us with information who came on. Uh, we definitely did a bunch of stories as well as the media and how it covered it. I would love to see. And I think we we need to talk about it inside. You know, how do we get people inside these institutions? We've had private sector. We've had a lot of private sector, but the FDA, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, NIH, CDC, you know, the experts who are, you know, telling us how we should live. And if anyone now in in our society dissents from that, uh, you know, they get deplatformed or shut down or made to be pariahed or lost employment opportunities. And so, like, we need to bring the debate toward that. And I think if we do, then we will turn people uh, in these sort of, quote, unquote, expert institutions to open their eyes a little bit. Because the mainstream media has totally abrogated their responsibility in, in sourcing these kind of stories, investigating them, and doing real journalism. Uh, so, I mean, I don't have a definitive answer on how we get from point A to point B, but right now, the story could be the catalyst for it. And we're going to keep on fighting to to make it so. Hey, Eric and host... Uh... Spaces is glitching for me. I can't move people up. Brett Weinstein is uh, at the bottom. Um, you know, I think we should bring him up. He's a, he's a very knowledgeable guy about uh, all the topics. And if you see anyone else requesting to speak, you got to help me because it's not working for me. Yeah, it's it's been doing the same on, on my end a little bit. But Brett, uh, if you could send a request, uh, I'll definitely be on the look for it. Let's, uh, let's go back to uh, Kevin. Uh, I know you weighed in a little bit before. If you got any final thoughts, uh, now's the time. Yeah, I, I think in times like this, we have to celebrate the victories. Obviously, this video is one of them. Another one that occurred today is Janine Yoons and her team seemed to get the judge in California to begin to um, see the light on reversing the insane fascist laws against medical freedom for, for physicians in California. Um, but I do think we need to take some advice from Buckminster Fuller here is I don't think we're going to vote our way out of this. I think we have to you know, rebuild a new system. And that system requires decentralized medicine with direct primary care. It involves rebooting peer review on blockchains and reviews a lot of review of nature's pharmacy, of looking at these generic drugs that were banned and taking a closer look at, as crazy as it sounds, medical cannabis and medical uh, psilocybin access, uh, MDMA, all of these drugs that are starting to get used that are somewhat outside of their grasp. This is going to be the key to getting outside of this fascist fiat science. 
uh, we, we knew, you know, ivermectin uh, early on had positive uh, effects for people. It really did have a, a remedy type uh, quick response for many, many people. Yet, because of its generic status and its low profitability, it was never something that was uh, allowed to be widely prescribed. And people had to almost go to the black market to get something that we know the safety profile on. I mean, that alone creates a ginormous medical ethical quandary. We have something we know the safety profile that we can widely and cheaply distribute and produce, but instead we're going to go and deliver by fiat, and even many states wanted to buy to do it by law, uh, an experimental drug therapy that has no long-term safety data. So certainly your point is well made that we should. The question is, how do we get there? And that is going to be, as much as it pains me to say it, on a regulatory uh, regime change. There has to be a, a more strident regulatory evaluation uh, going on than has been with big pharma. I mean, this is our lives and our health and the health of the, the entire human race at risk now, especially with viruses that can spread globally. Couldn't agree more with that. I think uh, Clayton Christensen move here is don't march into the gorilla's front yard and make a stink. Flank him on the back where he's not looking and start building there. I think legislation toward liberalizing medical use laws uh, for experimental therapies or natural therapies that aren't necessarily in this whole patent, uh, you know, fiat regulatory capture system is is, is going to be the way out. And getting the physicians free of all of these colleges that are dictating what they can and can't do. This we got to break them free of the insurance industry. Oh, the insurance industry as well as I mean, a little, another peek behind the curtain on the uh, the drug, uh, the drug industry and how drug approval works. You know who pays for the FDA to evaluate their drug? The pharmaceutical companies, the drug the companies Act. that yep. that apply, they get an IND, an investigational new drug, and then they have, uh, you know, an NDA and uh, the FDA had passed the, the feds passed a law called the prescription drug user fee act where the company applying for approval pays for the cost of the approval process any uh out of whack incentives that you might be able to perceive exist in that that you have i i think they've had they've said it's upwards to 60 to 70 percent of their budget comes from the bidoof act in 92 and they brag on their website that they regulate 20 cents of every dollar spent. Yeah, it's it's actually 75% of their drug approval budget. The year after that law was passed, it was 27% of the drug approval budget. And I think by 2017, 2018, uh, it was 75%. So uh, this the strong majority of their funding for that entire... They, they brag about it. And they suggest that this is what's good for society because they're, they're now like all uh, stakeholders together. There are very few Eric Topols from the Cleveland Clinic who have done research and are on these panels that do the drug approvals. The majority of them go like a revolving door, just like finance and the banking boards and the regulators and finance and uh, the, the economy writ large. But they go in a revolving door between big pharma and uh, even, you know, uh, boutique drug companies. You know, Moderna started off as a boutique. It's now a mega company thanks to COVID. And, uh, you know, they're they're mass production and distribution of vaccines. Uh, but a lot of these people who are on the panels that do the drug approvals, they do their stint at the FDA and they go into pharma. And sometimes they go from pharma back into the FDA on these panels and then they go back out for a much higher salary as a chief science officer of a therapeutic area. So I mean, I've been watching this for 20 years and it's gotten worse every five, seven, eight years. It's, it's really needs reform. Nine out of the uh, previous 10 FDA commissioners, the head of the FDA, went to work immediately for Big Pharma. The 10th one went to work immediately for uh, a, a, a company that consults with Big Pharma. 
And so th- there are some sensible policies that could be put in place here to prevent the mutual back scratching revolving door sort of play the game at the FDA for a few years and then jump ship to get the big paycheck on the board of Pfizer. Uh, you know, other industries have non-compete clauses where for a period of time you can't go work for others in the same industry. We could have something analogous at the federal level with, with a tail on the contract of people working for the FDA. 10 or 15 years, I think, wouldn't be too long that would close that revolving door. No, yeah. I, have them spend a buffer in academia or something where you right. know, they're, they're proving their value to the other part of the sector. Uh, like just like the lobbying revolving door that we've instituted. I mean, it's absolutely this is, you know, this is now not just even an American issue. It is global, given how global integrated global health, whether it's pandemics or drug distribution, the majority of drug innovation comes out of the USA. And if the USA is regulatory captured, I mean, there's only a few countries that produce any drugs at all on a novel innovation basis. Japan, uh, Switzerland, France, Germany, the U.S., Canada a little. Uh, so, you know, we are the anchor. Our regulation is now affecting, you know, seven or eight billion people's uh, public health. And so we need to take that seriously as opposed to encouraging this revolving door. And, I, you know, I've been watching very closely for 20 years and I'm frankly totally disgusted by it. And nobody's talking about it. I hope that this video gets such uh, galvanizes such righteous indignation over the cavalier nature of the big pharma companies playing with the public health of global humanity uh, that we will see something. Absolutely. Uh, I just want to update everybody uh, as to uh, Kim's challenge to to match the donations. Uh, we've got a lot of people that are messaging us. Uh, almost $40,000 has been raised now. Uh, in just about the last hour, I think there's about 10 minutes left uh, to get that donation in. So Kim, we'll uh, we'll send that your way uh, once we got it. But you know, if you guys have just recently tuned in, uh, Kim.com challenged everyone uh, to donate, support our work. Uh, we are a tax deductible nonprofit. Uh, you can support us at ProjectVeritas.com/donate or up at the top of the space there is a a pinned tweet. Uh, that's got a link to the donate. So, so go and get those there in the next 10 minutes. Um, and we will, uh, we will get those and we appreciate it. So thank you for that. Yeah, and, uh, and thank everybody. you for, for, thank you to everyone who's donating project. Uh, Veritas is obviously doing very important, uh, investigative journalism. And this is probably the biggest story, uh, that they have had, uh, you know, the fact that they are, uh, uh, kicking uh, Pfizer into the dirt with this admission that they are, you know, planning to uh, release or create mutated versions of the uh, COVID virus to sell more vaccines is incredible. Absolutely, and just you know, I've uh, I've been with Project Veritas for for almost going on seven years now, and, and effectively in the last hour we've raised um, almost eighty thousand dollars with uh, with Kim's match, and um, I can say without a doubt that um, that money will be put to good use. Um, you know, we we definitely get the bang for you get your bang for your buck uh, when you donate to Project Veritas. You know, a lot of people donate to to politicians and other causes. Uh, there's a lot of good causes out there, but. Um, supporting Project Veritas is, is definitely one that's worthwhile. So uh, thanks again for, for all that. Um, like I said, we're going to wrap this space up here in a couple minutes, but um, just any final thoughts, um, if any of the speakers that are currently on here um, have anything left to say, uh, raise your hand now and uh, you guys can, you can take it from there. 
Just keep sharing this one widely, guys. I mean, this is this is I uh, still contend the most important Project Veritas investigation and expose that's been done, uh, you know, in the twelve year or so history of the organization. And and Matt, here's uh this is Mario speaking uh, with Project Veritas. One thing that you said earlier that you know really caught my attention is uh, the fact that there's this uh, relationship between the FDA and pharma companies, and this is what this guy said tonight. In the video as well, beyond the, the mutation aspect, is he talked about, you know, the, the cushy jobs that they go back and forth between government agencies and, and the private sector. And to a lot of people who don't know, Project Veritas last year exposed a, an FDA executive, Chris Cole, who talked exactly about how, you know, the vaccines would become an annual shot. This was before this ever came out in the news. Project Veritas reported that. But he also spoke about how everything just gets approved, even vaccines for children. Because people just expect that they're going to get jobs at Pfizer once they leave the regulatory positions that they have at the FDA. So I just think it's very important to note that. And Project Veritas has been exposing this stuff and uh, the COVID vaccine, as well as the you know the relationships between the powerful here in the pharma industry for for a long time. Hey, can, can I offer up my microphone to uh, Brett Weinstein if you guys want to boot me out and give him a microphone? I'd love to hear his evolutionary perspective on this. I would too. Yeah. Yeah, Brett, I uh, I sent you an invite, so it should be in your uh, your DM if you're uh, if you're looking for that. I'll I'll resend it now. Any other uh, any other final thoughts while we get Brett in here? I just want to say again, fantastic job to Project Veritas. I think this is, in my opinion, by far the most significant expose you guys have done thus far. Um, and I I just want to. My final words are, don't let this sweep under the rug. I'm going to use my platform in any way I can to keep hammering this story, keep keep doing uh, what I can in my small part to do it. I would advocate for each and every person in this room, retweet what Project Veritas's most recent discoveries are. Tell friends, tell family, tell everyone. We can't count on the corporate media to cover this. Be relentless and don't let this story go away. They need to be held accountable. We need to use this as the paradigm shifting moment that it is. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, uh, Brett, if you, if you saw the, uh, the DM, we'll try to send you it again from the, uh, Project Veritas account. Um, anybody else have any final thoughts before we, uh, before we wrap this up. Whoever was the conduit to Brett, I, I really would love to hear his take as sort of uh, some concluding thoughts. Yeah. If anybody that's got direct contact I just, with him, um, I just to... uh, invited Brett here as well. So uh, should be receiving this request. Yeah, I've kind of noticed that, that as these spaces go, that oh, we got him. A little we got him. You know, Brett's okay. on. Can you hear us, Brett? Yeah, I can. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Awesome. Thank you for joining. We've got you. All right. Sorry about that. A, I'm joining late after traveling all day, and so I'm just catching up on this story. I didn't really want to uh, join as a speaker because I don't want to speak from a position uh, where I have less knowledge than the people I'm speaking to. But I can say, having watched the at least most of the Project Veritas video and having listened in on the space for the last 15 minutes or so, that I have a concern uh, that it is very 
likely for people to focus too narrowly in terms of seeing the failure, the failure that is obviously evident in this video or many of the other failures that we've seen throughout the COVID pandemic and to miss the larger picture. And the larger picture as I see it is that we have watched the failure of absolutely every institution on which civilization depends. We watched the complete failure of our public health apparatus. We watched the failure of medicine writ large. We watched the failure of every major university, of every discipline within the sciences. We watched the failure of all major news outlets. And that is why this was able to happen. So I guess the the um, troubling conclusion that I think is inescapable when you look at the larger picture is that we are not going to be able to reform our way out of this. The fact is, even if you were to fix every incentive across all of those domains that I just named, you don't have the people who are capable of responding to good incentives and uh, would be in a position to make the system function. So, that's a, a dire conclusion from my perspective because rebuilding the system is going to be a whole lot harder than fixing it. But I'm not sure that we have any choice. I, I just don't see that there's a system waiting to be repaired. What we have is a system that has uh, fallen into a kind of ruin and essentially turned the whole apparatus into a racket. No, absolutely, Brett. And, um, you know, picking back off of that, what I just, I just saw a tweet from Eric Weinstein. He said, did you lose anyone irreplaceable to COVID, to myocarditis, have brain fog, lose a year or two of your life, fall to attend a funeral, wonder how the vaccines appeared so quickly, have your reputation destroyed over conspiracy theorizing, get called a xenophobic racist, watch this video. So, um, Wow, yeah. that is fucking yeah, awesome. Yeah, Eric Weinstein. So, um, you know, based off, you know, what Brett said, Eric Weinstein said, we had this New Jersey uh, Democrat politician speak. Um, going back to what James said, this whole conversation, this is a topic that I think can bridge any sort of d divide that we have politically, right? This is a conversation that I think we can all agree on that something is wrong and that the majority of people, regardless of political affiliation and views, are not benefiting from the exploits and the profit chasing that um, these pharmaceutical companies are pursuing, right? So it's, I just wanted to note that. Except, except those people still wearing a mask alone in their yes, car. those those might not be able to or bragging about their fifth booster. Well, I think once we answer the question, how did we allow all of these regulatory agencies to fail, universities? how we allowed this conformity to, to take place. Another question is, how did we become so gullible as a society that we allowed critical thinking to be frowned upon? Read that essay I mentioned at the beginning of the space, Hayek's uh, Nobel Prize speech, the, uh, the pretense of knowledge, and it will kind of get you there with the tyranny of experts. We want to have faith in our institutions, so we trust them too much. And when we should be skeptical 
uh, not enough of us are. And those who are can too often be cowed by the pitfall of democracy, which is mob rule, which is why we're a constitutional republic. And so, you know, I, I hope that, uh, you know, the idea that it's too far gone, that we have some guardrails in place to re-regulate and reform. And coincidentally enough, the first Google hit for this essay is actually the Washington Post. So, well, thanks so much, um, you know, everybody for joining. Uh, Kim, thank you so much for your support. All the speakers have been incredible. Um, Dr. Malone was on earlier for those of you guys that tuned in a little later. So um, this space is recorded. So as soon as we wrap this, it will it will save. It will be available, um, you know, for the rest of time on the Project Veritas page. Uh, so if you want to go back, listen to the beginning, I highly encourage you to do that. Uh, as many people have recommended, uh, please do continue sharing uh, this video. Uh, please tweet hashtag directed evolution. Uh, I believe it's trending right now in the United States as high as number five. Uh, if anybody's seen it higher, definitely let us know. Uh, but keep tweeting it, keep sharing the video and, uh, stay tuned because, uh, like James said, we've got another video coming out tomorrow. James sat down or well attempted to sit down, uh, with the subject that was on today's video. And, uh, needless to say, the, uh, the exchange that took place is, is one for the, uh, for the history books at Project Veritas. So, um, stay tuned for that. And, uh, we appreciate everybody. Uh, and we'll we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, thank you, Eric, and thank you, Project Veritas, for such an unbelievable release. That is really a big story, and uh, I'm super happy that people um, came to your support today. Thank you so much, Kim. Ab- absolutely. All right, have a thank you, everyone. Great space. Have a great night, Thanks, everybody. everyone.